It's time for another bisexual brunch with Ashley Byrne, Lewis Oakley and Nicky Hodgson. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So, yeah, it's another bisexual brunch uh, with Lewis Oakley and with Ashley Byrne and with Nikki very soon. She's just a little bit late. She'll be with us uh, shortly, uh, which gives us a little bit of a chance, Lewis, to talk about some uh, breaking news this evening as we're recording uh, this podcast um, about some new statistics. And I know you love your statistics. Hot off the press from uh, the one and only Cambridge University. Tell us what they're saying there. Yeah, jumping right in the way I like with some statistics. Right, (laughs) so, new survey out of Cambridge University has found that fewer than half of students um, identify as heterosexual, with a third identifying as bisexual. So a bit of a breakdown on this for us all. So um, 49.7% said they were heterosexual, so just a smidgen, couldn't be less of a smidgen, under half. Um... 11.9% said they were homosexual, and 29.7% said they were bisexual. So, again, we kind of see that, you know, bisexuality is the second most common sexuality. You know, it goes straight, bisexual, and then gay is, you know, dwindling by the numbers, I, I, I kind of feel. So it just, it's more research, and I should point out, this was a survey of 600 students, so it's hardly the most extensive survey in the world, but it's fine. It basically backs up every other survey that's ever done of different um, different proportional representations. But it basically finds, you know, straight is the most common thing, but it's around about half. Um, and, you know, bisexual is the second most common sexuality. So it's interesting, you know, I, I just think it's yet another study that kind of adds a bit of weight to what we've been saying, which is, you know, why is bisexuality not talked about if it is so common? No, absolutely. Of course, a lot of people would say, well, you know, this is a reflection of what will be, I mean, not all, of course, but will be largely, you know, younger people who are likely to more you know, to identify in different ways than uh, older people did. And of course, we had the study recently from YouGov, which did show that bisexuality was second in the in the league table, but of course was much smaller because a lot of those people are older, um, aren't necessarily out about being bisexual. And we know full well there are plenty of them out there because they're constantly contacting us. But yeah, you're right. It's a, it's another another sign that people are a willing to you know express their bisexuality but it shows that the potential extent of people out there who are bisexual. I mean, somebody said to me the other day, um, you know, um, people are always saying to me, often saying to me, gay people say, you know, bisexuality doesn't exist. You know, somebody actually said to me the other day, I don't actually think straight people exist. 
<laughs> so, um, mm. which will be it's interesting. It's very interesting. You know, is there? You know, you know. It, we we often talk about this being tip of the iceberg, but we might be right. It might actually be much bigger than we think. But yeah, another another study. And I gather the, 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 I there have been so. another study as I... well recently at Oxford that said similar things as well. Oxford University had got similar statistics as well recently. I think. Oh, interesting. I I just think with this, it's like, you know, whenever anyone turns to you now and says, you know, I don't think bisexuality is a thing, you can say, well, it's, you know, almost twice as common as being gay. So what are you saying? Like, you know, the numbers are there. And I I think we're we're all working to get past this whole it's a phase thing, because now we do have a lot of older bisexuals that are out, people like me that are, you know, in a relationship with a with a woman and three kids in and is still banging on about this because I will not let you say that, oh no, you just turned straight. Um, I'm still attracted to men, as many, many um listeners might be happy to know. <laughs> Although I don't act upon it. So don't don't um don't get your hopes too far up. But um what I will say is I think I know that it's easy to kind of write these statistics off as oh it's just a younger thing but i do think it's is it though because you know i've been going deep diving lately into some of the more ancient and older cultures and their whole attitude around sexuality and gender was so different um and it's really you know obviously there's been different religions and and things have happened but i do think we're breaking free of a lot of traditions and you know it's like well this never used to be an issue thousands of years ago we're led to believe from from the bits of information we can piece together so the idea that it's oh well these young people they've just gotten all confused now and you know this won't last it's like well actually it probably has you know this attitude with sexuality has been around for longer and people were were you know from a lot of the evidence seem to have been a lot more understanding back you know thousands of years ago so actually i think we're just returning to a, a less judgmental way of being and the younger generation just don't see why people have to behave a certain way or why why they should have to pretend to be straight if they're bi like why should they have to so i i wouldn't write these off as just like oh it's a young thing or a phase i mean i did read the comments on this article because it was reported by the daily mail and it was quite funny (laughs) i bet it was i bet it was yeah no i absolutely absolutely agree with you i mean it's just the fact that these statistics are coming out but there are still loads of people out there who will say, I don't know anybody who's bisexual. Uh, I haven't got any friends who are bisexual. They obviously have. Um, so the climate is, unfortunately, we're in this weird situation whereby people seem to be, or the media and the society seems to have a difficulty embracing the, the, the term bisexual. There seems to be some kind of shame about suggesting that you might be bisexual because you know you're not ticking one box or another and that leads me on to the next uh bit of conversation and we're going to talk about this a little bit later on with regards to heartstopper and kit connor when we when we uh, talk to nikki in a while um but before that there's been more talk about this so-called thing of queer baiting with other celebrities a celebrity in america i gather now has been accused of uh, queer baiting. Just remind us what queer baiting is, Lewis. Queer baiting is basically when people think that you are trying to show to the queer community that you're one of them, but you're not really, I guess, is is the idea. You may be a painting your nails or 
you know, you're a man wearing dresses or you're talking about finding the odd man hot, um, but really you're not out as an actual gay or bisexual person. So it's sort of like you're baiting it. You're kind of flirting with the idea of, well, I could be queer, but maybe I'm not. You're queer baiting it. And I, and I, and I uh, just, just remind us for a second who this person is who's, who's just been accused of it in America. Oh, so this is Omar Apollo. So he has shut down queer baiting claims um, by clarifying, I be sucking dick. Um, so apparently there was, you know, some accusations online that he was queer baiting, um, to which he responded to to one person that basically, this person basically tweeted out like, um, is he queer baiting? Is he another one of those, I don't label myself, I wear crop tops, um, I like his songs, but I don't want to support straight men doing queer baiting, to which he's responded about, you know, his um, his enjoyment of sucking dick. Um, I think it's interesting because I do think these people that would write such a thing of like, I don't want to support straight men that are queer baiting, they think that they're doing a good thing. But as always, it's like, no, you're you're kind of forcing people out and people shouldn't have to force themselves out or use labels if they don't want to publicly. We, we're not in the business of forcing people out. Um, and obviously, if you're a celebrity, you have got to think about your public persona and where your sexuality fits into it and what you want to say about it. So, I, you know, it's a, it's a fun way to have shut this down. Um, but it, it is becoming a bit of an issue now. And I think this is going to be a big cultural moment within our queer LGBT community about what do we do about queer baiting. I don't see what the problem with is with it, to be honest. Um, I'd, even if it is, you know, worst case scenario for these people that have a problem with it, it's a straight man basically not being like, yeah, I'm straight, girls only, blah, blah, blah. If it's a guy that's like, well, whatever, you know, an attractive yeah, guy yeah, might come along. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's a nice, a nice thing to do. I agree. It's not like you have to be in for a penny, in for a pound. I don't think. I agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. And what worries me about it, actually, is that I think a lot of people who are doing this, I think that guy, if you read into the article about that American uh, pop star, you'll discover that he had talked about being bi or having a bi phase or whatever I uh, in the past. I think this will increasingly, and I, I, I hope this is wrong, but I've got a feeling it's going to be increasingly used as a way of getting at bisexual people in the sense that we're not we're not seen as queer enough if you know what I mean and that mm. that is a worry really and has has the numbers of bisexual people increase uh, or we well are seen to increase in terms of statistics and surveys and all the rest of it i think there may be people at the other end who are purely gay and have an issue with all this there may become a problem and they start using this a bit more. And I think we need to watch out for that. I think it's quite worrying, actually. Oh, you might have just given me an idea for my next thought piece. <laughs> I'll give you a cut of the commission. Do you agree, though? It is it is concerning, isn't it? Because people say, basically, people, yeah, people well, don't I like think... bi people because we're not gay enough. That's what some people say. I think so. And I think that there's also an element of bi people are the least likely to be out. So you've got this huge portion of people, far more bisexuals than gay people, but a, a, a larger portion of them not wanting to be out um, and not finding it as simple as, you know, a gay guy being like, I'm gay and that's it. Like, what's the problem? Bisexuals have to come out constantly. They don't always want to come out constantly. And 
they might choose to display their sexuality in, you know, drips and drabs. They might, you know, say to you an odd comment about a guy they found hot because that's as comfortable as they are with talking about it. Um, so you're, you know, they're just, a, they're, they're at more of a risk of being accused of queer baiting. If you're kind of on that spectrum of sexuality, you're not gay, you're not straight, you're, you know, even if you don't use the word yourself by, but you pretty much fall into that by umbrella. And you're not, if you're not coming out and saying, I am bisexual, that's it. But you're somewhere, and you know, I did this before when I was on my path to coming out, you know, the kind of you felt comfortable with some people, so you might mention that a guy was hot. You felt comfortable with some people, so you might, you know, hint that you've been with guys before. The fact that that is now going to be basically criminalised in the LGBT world is, um, it's an important aspect or area of by-being that we don't want to always be completely out. Yeah, and it shows an, a lack of understanding, really, of where people are by have come from. And the reason they are, people are bi act in the way they do is because of historic biphobia over many years from both straight and gay people. I'm sure we'll carry on talking about this uh, forever, forever and a day. But Nikki's just arrived and we've got important stuff to find out from Nikki about how she's getting on with uh, being the, uh, the, the best pregnant bi woman in the world. Nikki, how's it going? It's going well. I'm in the third trimester as of today. Oh, is that what you so, call it? It's third trimester. Yeah, okay. well, you go through. You've got the three trimesters, and like there are different developmental things that happen each stage, and also you feel different at each stage. Um, I feel really well. Like I've had some niggles and various bits of pain, but I think I've had a good pregnancy overall. And there's only eleven weeks to go, which is just bonkers. Eleven weeks. Now, this trimester business does that mean that? Because so, I remember years ago when when my mum mum used to talk about it to you know, when I was really a little boy and she'd chat to friends and things like that. They always used to go on about different stuff. I mean, she only had me, but she'd often be there talking to them about different things. And um, there'd be these kind of weird things. They talk about eating certain things at certain times and, you know, your, your appetite would change and all that kind of stuff. Has, has that happened? People eating coal and weird <laughs> things like that way, way back. Yeah, is, is that, people does that get still these... come into it all? Yeah, it does. I haven't had any cravings, I've got to say. I've just eaten a lot more <laughs> in general. So I have put quite a bit of weight on, but I don't mind that. That's fine. Especially at the beginning, I was so sick. Like, I felt so sick. The, it was not like having a stomach bug sick. It was like the only thing that made me feel better was having some food in me. So I had a lot of snacks and a lot of ginger. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I've had any of, like, really suffered any of the vagaries of pregnancy. Like, your bump stretches, and that sounds, that sounds really weird, and it's really uncomfortable. And the baby is kicking a lot now, which is actually great, because... When you're in the first half of pregnancy, you know you're pregnant, but until you see the baby on screen, like you don't have that connection. Even though you're carrying the baby, you don't have that connection with them. And so once they start moving, you're like, oh, you're definitely in there. You're definitely awake. You're definitely doing things. It's really, it's like, it creates a bond between you and the baby. It's much more positive. Fantastic. And it's caused a few talking points on telly, isn't it? I've seen you uh, on certain <laughs> certain programmes being, uh, well, people who didn't quite know what was happening, but were, were observing you and didn't quite want to say anything about it and all that kind of thing. <laughs> well, it's really funny because one presenter that I was on with just was like, I'm so glad you've told me that you're pregnant because I just thought you'd been eating loads of pies. And I was like, I haven't put that much weight on. Come on, mate. <laughs> And obviously, like, when you're pregnant, you put weight on very in a very specific place, you know? It's like, you, you definitely look different. Um, 
And he commented on the fact that I'd worn the same dress twice in a row because basically nothing fitted me. You can't keep buying new outfits all the time. I mean, I love to shop, we all know, but you've got to be a bit reasonable and rewear things. But after he made the comment, you've worn that dress twice, I was like, right, fuck it. And then I went out and did a big shopping spree. To buy all these things, I'll probably wear three times and then I'll not be pregnant anymore. But <laughs> it was and, all very silly. And, and, and obviously, it being bisexual brunch, we do need to ask you, have you come across any issues or anything being a bi mum in the last few months well the only thing is just how hetero the whole language around birth is you know i mean we're starting antenatal classes tomorrow me and my husband and um you know we live in east london there are lots of queer people here i expected there to be queer people in the group that you know we're gonna be studying with but there aren't and everyone's just like very hetero presenting and it's kind of built around mums and dads. Like they use they use mutual language. They use parents and they don't try and they talk about birth partners and things like this. So they don't try and say the dad who's going to support you through the labour and stuff like that. But you, it's it's kind of all quite surface, you know, underneath, you know that the framework is still very hetero. So it, it's interesting because basically, by and large, my bi identity has been erased in this process of being pregnant. You know, it just isn't there. Um I don't necessarily feel the need to insert it in the medical realm because maybe it isn't relevant, right? You know, maybe there isn't a particular thing about me being a bi woman that would affect the ba- an outcome of how healthy the baby is, you know? But um, well, just just hold just, it, hold it there as a ca- hold it there as a card. If it gets, if one of these sessions gets really boring, <laughs> you just come out and say, "Let's talk about being bisexual." <laughs> well, well, I've got to say one thing that I found really interesting is talking to my female friends that have already had babies. They all said, and these are not necessarily all bi women, some of them are queer, some of them are not. They all said to a T that when they were pregnant, the only porn they watched was girl-on-girl porn. So there's this interesting temporary bisexuality that seems to descend on people when they're pregs. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Not not research, but anecdotal, obviously, but I was very curious about that. (laughs) Any any advice from the other side, uh... Lewis to Nikki at the moment. Advice? I don't think you need any advice. You seem like you've got it all in hand. Just enjoy every moment of it is my only advice. And I think also keep like a little log if you can, even if it's just a note on your phone, because there'll be times now where I'll look back and be like, wait, at what month did Maisie start crawling? And all these things that are so magical when they happen and then loads of other things happen. Um... And you totally forget, and like you forget, like oh, you know, remember when I was on morning TV and she kicked my bladder, and I thought I was going to piss myself on on live TV. Like, remember, write all those things down because you will forget. And it's so nice to look back, and I do that with the kids now. That it's all, you know, it's just it's all so special. But I think you know, as with our busy lives these days, it all goes by so quickly, and you're kind of doing a million things at once. And it's like just sometimes I'm like oh, I just want to take a moment and just, like, watch them or whatever it is or just, like, enjoy those moments of, you know... I mean, obviously, I didn't have to carry the baby. I'm sure <laughs> Laura would tell a whole different story, but it was such <laughs> a nice time. And Maisie would wake up at certain points of the day, so it'd always be kind of like, oh, it's 11 o'clock, like, yeah. she'll wake up around now. Like, put your hand on the yeah, yeah, tummy, you might same. be able to they, feel her They today. have their waking times. Like, yeah. they have patterns of when they're... She's awake now, I can feel her. Um, she's oh. kicking now, it's really interesting. <laughs> But yeah, you get used to sort of feeling she's the kick. Yeah, me. she's definitely saying hi. I think she she gets animated every time I broadcast. So I'm wondering if she's going to be like me, a bit of a show off. <laughs> I hope not for her Ooh. sake. I hope not for her sake. I hope she's a scientist or something like a dad. <laughs> well, well, Lewis, Lewis mm. sounds like a, 
a veteran now, doesn't he? He's like this well, wise he is old a owl, at this really. Stage. <laughs> he is at this point. All these kids, my God, I know so many of them. I'm trying to teach Hugo to crawl at the moment. How's that going? So, like, he's literally, he's kicking his little legs. He wants to go, but he just can't figure out how to distribute the weight. <laughs> so I'm, like, holding him, like, so I'm taking his weight so that he can just focus on the movements. I mean, he's, he doesn't need to be in a rush, but, I mean, Maisie literally loves him, so she'll come and, like, grab him and hold him down and kiss his face <laughs> and hug him really tight. So I'm just trying to teach him how to walk away. <laughs> like, how yeah, to a good lesson. Fantastic. Well, we'll we'll mm. we'll keep up to date, and of course, in the next episode, we'll be we're even closer to the to, to the to the big day. Now, um, let's talk about some of the things that have been happening since we uh, last chatted. Um, obviously, the big thing was the statistics about um, bisexuality, which uh, we were all amazed about. But um, sort of the rest of the media was sort of uh, slightly nonplussed about. Really, we we got a bit of coverage, but it wasn't really the most excitable, was it? Really, when you think about it, but. The, the census statistics should be out very soon because I'm sure they will have gone up, um, but it's uh, how seriously anyone sort of takes it, really. That, obviously, uh, was the major thing in the last programme that we, uh, we we made. Um, but then a few weeks later, there was a little bit of a furore about um, um, our friend from the TV series for Netflix, Heartstopper, which I've been going on about for ages because I thought it was fantastic and the way in which it actually tackled head-on bisexuality even though it was never promoted as that in any way shape or form there was episodes of Gogglebox where they talked about a gay kiss and I it completely escaped me there was anything to do with bisexuality until I decided to watch it and then realized there's this bisexual thread all the way through it and it's done exceptionally well you know you've got the but you've got the bisexual the nice heartwarming bisexual story of a gay guy and a bisexual guy falling in love with each other which is fantastic and coming out to each other and there not being an issue, but there was there is also a bisexual character who's a little bit more awkward, who um, you know happens to be dating women as well and dating this guy and wanting to deny his sexuality and all that kind of thing, which is reality and that happens. And I I just thought it was done exceptionally well, but it seems that the audience got a bit carried away. So basically, what happened was that he's playing a, a queer character, um, and. I think that he was maybe pictured with a girl or pictured on a date or something. And so then the fans were like, oh, my God, you're queer baiting us. You're play, you're like playing up to the queer crowd. Um, you know, Harry Styles is an example of something like this. Like he very much is in the LGBT space, but never really talks about his sexuality. And there's all this speculation. It's like, oh, you're getting interest from um, for playing up to that queer audience but also that you're playing a queer character um and basically so basically he was seen with this girl um and i think that there, there must have then been some sort of a backlash or a lot of people just messaging him on social media being like you know you're a straight guy you're you know playing this queer role that another queer person could have had blah blah so he felt that he had no choice but to come out um, because he hadn't at that point. And I just think it's, you know, it is, it's really disgusting and it's really toxic. And I think it's really the LGBT backing itself into a corner, basically, because there's been a lot made over the last couple of years. I'd be interested to get your take on this, Ash, because I know how much you're into entertainment. But there's been this whole thing about, you know, gay characters need to play, gay actors need to play gay roles, um, and, you know, basically, you know, a trans person ha has to play a trans character, that kind of thing. 
And you obviously see with this example, it's like, okay, well, what you what you mean, you don't mean that only a gay actor can have a gay role. You mean only a gay out actor can have a gay role. So, you know, so to play that role, you've got to come out. And it's like, well, there are loads of people that aren't ready to come out. So they should be held back in their career. You're going to hold other queer people back because they're not willing to come out. And it's also, you know, the, the, the other side of it, of course, is that when someone famous comes out, in that public eye, they then become a spokesperson, whether they like it or not. Um, so then they've got to kind of answer questions about, well, what do you think about this by issue? What do you think about this? Do you support this? And they're just like, I'm just trying to figure out my own sexuality. I'm not ready to lead a movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can understand the reasons people don't want to come out. I mean, I think, you know, as, a, as somebody who's bisexual, I was welcoming the fact that, just the fact that we'd actually got a bisexual character <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't bothered whether he was yep. straight, gay, bi, or what he was. As long as it was great that we got this realistic bisexual character the first time in ages, and that's what should be celebrated. And I, my suspicion is that most people who are bisexual who are watching that or were fans of the series probably weren't the people accusing him of um, queer baiting or whatever it was. And my suspicion is, and this is a sad fact, I think, is that probably most of the people who were saying that would be people from the gay community, which really I find quite scary. And it's something never, that never gets properly challenged, really. And I think, he's, I think he's really, really sad. What do you think, Nikki? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't watched it. Obviously, I've followed the controversy around it. I suppose my thought as well is that it's a certain kind of person and probably quite a young person. I don't want to write off anyone who's younger than me, but... It's a certain kind of younger person who feels very strongly about identities and who's entitled to them. And as a result of that, they're perpetuating, well, a, a kind of prejudice, you know? Yeah. And and a really unpleasant situation has come about as a result of them being so adamant that somebody couldn't occupy that space. Because I, I think what Lewis said was really interesting. You know, you do have people like Harry Styles who plays with his sexuality and you don't know anything you don't really know anything about his sexual orientation he's always quite circumspect about it but you wouldn't want as a result of his performance or his you know the way he carries himself to endanger people who maybe aren't out you know as a result and in this situation that's what happened so I think that's really damaging yeah, no, I do. I do too. And the other thing that came of this, of course, is inevitably you get the other side of this. So we got, we got this issue that the poor guy has to come out and say he's bisexual, which is really sad because actually I was hoping that the guy over time would, would gradually probably want to come out as bisexual if he was bisexual and, you know, and, and, and probably do interviews with Bisexual Brunch and others and, and help you know, the community as a whole. But now he's going to be reluctant to do so because he's going to think that his entire acting career is going to be based on uh, playing bisexual characters, which is obviously a, a major problem for, for actors. They don't like being typecast for a start, you know, so that's a problem. But no, the thing that disappointed me was you got the other side of it all, which is people then saying, oh, why do we have to keep going on about sexuality? We don't need to say we don't need to define everybody. We don't need to put people in categories. Nobody, everyone's in a spectrum. Nobody needs to 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 identify themselves or you know and all that kind of thing, which again plays into the whole bi-erasure thing, doesn't it? Yet again, I know you um, were quoted quite a bit on this, Lewis. You managed to get a little bit of coverage on on this and uh, and and sort of uh, get your message across. What was your 
What was the main thing you were wanting to get across on this one? Uh, well, one of the main things was just, as I said, it was about what are we doing at the LGBT, in the LGBT where we're saying that only certain people can play certain roles. I've never really agreed with that line of thinking. I think that there is a balance to be struck. It wouldn't make sense if all of the gay characters were played by straight people. But actually, different different actors of different sexual orientations can achieve different things. Sometimes it might be really big to see this big, strong, hetero-masculine man that everyone thinks of playing a gay role. That might have more impact than a gay actor that everyone knows is gay playing a gay role. So I've never seen why we need to be so over the top about, well, we can only have gay people playing gay roles. Because then, of course, the reverse of that argument is, okay, so a gay person can't play a straight role. So, oh, well, that, no, 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 we don't mean that. It's like we've got to have principles because we will just be shot down if we don't. Um, so I do feel like I hope that the learning from this, because this is quite a messy situation. You don't really know what Kit was seeing and what led him to want to come out. We don't know what he's thinking now. Is he angry at the LGBT communities and what nothing to do with it? Does he want anything to do with bisexual advocacy or not? We don't know. But I think if we can take a learning from it, it has to be, look, there's got there's got to be a better way to do this. And I think that maybe it's, you know, if it feels like queer people aren't playing queer roles anymore, then maybe we, you know, look to address it. But I think that we can't have it as a solid rule. And we certainly can't go after people's sexuality if they're playing those roles. It do It doesn't make any sense. So I think... I hope everyone's learnt their lesson from this. Um, and I just, you know, I just wish um, Kit well, to be honest. I isn't acting about invoking other personalities, types. I just don't understand why people of all backgrounds can't play people of all backgrounds. I don't understand that because the job is to take on another form, take on another reality, take empathise with a completely different kind of human to yourself, isn't it? Isn't that what we admire in actors, that skill to be able to transform themselves? Maybe one of the problems is that the industry has become so used to typecasting people and very lazy, you know, what it expects of them. And, you know, most mainstream Hollywood actors are probably not stretched very far at all within their capacity of what they can do as actors compared to maybe 30, 40 years ago. So mm. I think that, that has got to be one of the issues as well. But yeah, I just feel like it's just so sad that someone is kind of bludgeoned into coming out, basically. Yeah, I mean... I've um, got um, sort of I'm close to this a little bit because I've got a friend of mine um, who is an actor uh, playing a gay character in a uh, program. I can't say which one it is, um, and they happen to be um, bisexual, and um, and there's a reason why they've not come out because they're bisexual because they worry that that's going to cause problems in terms of their both their own image and also the, the how their character is seen which is silly really i mean that's ridiculous of course a bisexual person should be able to play a gay person and a gay person should be able to buy a, play a bisexual person and in fact in this particular um i can't say anymore actually i'll give it away but basically um do you know what i mean it's just, but it's silly that people should have that kind of situation really and it's it's sort of um another another actor said I think it was Rob Mallard, who's who, who's gay in real life, who plays a plays um, Ken Barlow's straight um, son in Coronation Street. Um, now he's gay, playing a straight man for heaven's sake. Well, you know, and 
I remember him uh, talking about this on Twitter a couple of years ago, and he just said it's ideological zealotry. It's just ridiculous. You know, the whole thing is crazy. You know, why shouldn't people be able to play uh, different roles and different parts? And um, because I think you know, you talk, you're talking about Harry, Harry Styles and others. There's always been um, guys, men and women, and and everybody really across the board who are um, who can be a mixture of different things in terms of sexuality and gender. And that's a rich tapestry. Why do we have to? I mean, I'm going. I'm contradicting myself and saying, why do we have to categorise people? But what I'm saying is, why do we have to? As you say, why do you have to bludgeon people into um, sort of nailing their, um, you know, their their sexuality to the post, and uh, when they don't want to, when they're maybe maybe not comfortable to at that particular point? You know, it's, it's, it should be when everybody's. Um, happy to. But what we're saying, going back to what we said at the beginning, it, it feels sad to me that we've not been able to celebrate the fact that we've got a, a bisexual character in a, a very popular programme that's going all around the world, which young people in particular are watching in their, in their millions. And it's that we should be celebrating, isn't it, really? Um, yeah, and that's getting erased in this in this yeah, whole controversy, completely. which is just so frustrating. Yet yeah. again, here's a prime opportunity, and it's just been wasted. Ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely. Welcome to bisexuality. What's, tick- tick- what's tickled you, Lewis? Just, what just, you say, Lewis? just that conversation, like welcome to bisexuality. Like it's like, oh, mystery, <laughs> and you know, oh, what what are their labels? They're bi. Oh, god, well, it's not about labels, is it? I just, I, I, I do feel for the guy as well because it's gonna, it is gonna be hard to untangle himself from his sexuality if he decides he doesn't want his sexuality to be a big thing that he talks about and he just wants to talk about his art and he wants to be private about it. It's gonna be hard. Like every interviewer now is gonna want to know more about it and find out more about it. So it's gonna be tricky for him. So we wish him well. Well, another arena where we know there are lots of bisexuals but uh, none of them are out, <laughs> um, or very few anyway. There have been a few a few minor um, footballers that have come out in different uh, smaller teams and clubs across the UK and across the globe, but not in the, the big and the major teams. Um, uh, we've got the World Cup on at the moment, and of course there's a lot of um, controversy about Qatar and having the World Cup there and all that kind of thing. Um, we've obviously got to talk a little bit about this, Um I, my feeling is, and I'm, you know, people will say to me, "Oh, it's what a boundary again," and is that yeah? I'm, I understand. I understand everyone having a go at Qatar and all the rest of it, but it does concern me a little bit that I've not heard the same kind of conversation from the media. This again, I'm having to complain about the media here when it comes to North Korea and China and all these other teams that appear in all these big um, events on a regular basis, and it's never, nothing's ever questioned. And in the very same week as the World Cup, we also had in the land of the free uh, um, get LGBT massacre going on in Colorado. Very little coverage about that. So it's like it's it's okay when it's flavour of the month suddenly, and you know everyone's criticised for maybe not completely going one hundred percent behind it, whatever it may be, um, because it's you know it's a it's a it's the it's the wonderfully beautiful game as they call it and all the rest of it. But in the next breath, they're not mentioning other things which are just equally as you know what i'm trying to say i suppose is we've either got to really come out on these kind of things and be completely against any kind of violation of human rights when it comes to lgbt issues or or recognize that there are differences and we're going to have to be tolerant of those differences sometimes it's one thing or the other for me on this one i'm afraid i think we've got it first personally i think we should have a go we should have a go at the all the countries 
that are, are are having have issues with LGBT, and that could be the issue the countries in Africa and the Caribbean and other places that persecute LGBT people all the time. But it, it feels weird that we've we, we've suddenly decided to make this a big issue, and yet we won't mention it again for the next six years and until something else comes up. What about you, Nikki? You've obviously been asked to comment on this on a regular basis, mm. I'm sure. Recently, what do you, what's your what's your take on it? Well, I can't help feeling that the LGBT rights issue has been commandeered by anyone who just wants to have a pop at Qatar. It feels like, it feels very tokenistic, yes. a lot of the support for the issue. Yes, I agree. Even with, and, and on all the commentary about, you know, you know, with FIFA banning the One Love armband. Well, actually, you know, on the other side of it, if, whether whatever your sexual orientation, if you don't want to be political about sexuality because you're not comfortable, you shouldn't have to be. So as much as I want everyone to support LGBTQI rights, if there are people that are not comfortable in their sphere of football commenting or protesting, I don't necessarily hold that against them. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. 100%. 100%. What do you think, Lewis? Oh, there's a load of issues there. Right, okay. Number one, on the whole, why why does it seem like everyone cares about Qatar now? There's loads of other bad things going on in the world. I would say yes, there are. Like, yes, there's so many bad issues going on in the world. There's so many things that need correcting at once that it's hard to know where to focus. But when you hold one of the most, if not the most famous tournaments in the world and you've been gifted that privilege, you get the focus. And I think that's why we're focusing on it now. It's like, well, you know, you have invited the world into your into your country and if you're gay, you're going, to, you're going to jail for seven years if they catch you. That's not right. Um, and, you know, and yes, there's loads of issues. There's lots of Qatari money in the UK and there's lots of other countries that have just as bad of a track record. They're not hosting the World Cup this month. Qatar is. That's why I think the focus is there. Um, and it's, you know, if they we're not going to talk it, about it now, when? Are, some, of those, some of those countries are, are in the World Cup, though. Some of those countries that have got really bad records are in. Yeah, I know, but they're not they're hosting it. Well, I mean, that conversation. That's like saying, um, you know, oh, you know, my neighbour's homophobic, that one's transphobic, but you're in the living room of the one that happens to be, you know, homophobic. And it's like, well, I'm in your living room, so we're going to talk about you. Like, we'll get to the neighbours tomorrow. Um, because you can't do everything at once. So I think that that, for me, is like, I get why there is that focus on Qatar, I think the biggest thing for me is is FIFA, because I think there's been a lot of blame going around, like, well, who do we blame? Is it David Beckham? Is it Gareth Southgate? Is it, who do we blame? Um, I don't blame the footballers, to be honest. Like, you know, they've got a job to do. You can be, you know, and they're not activists, they're footballers. And I think that if we think about why there is such a number of... Um, causes to support LGBT people in football. We know why, because football was riddled with homophobia from if you were a gay couple that wanted to go and sit in the stands and cheer on your football team, you'd probably be, um, you know, subject to homophobic chants. Homophobia was used as an insult to the other team. It was very fine to do. People didn't want gay people on their, on their teams. So there has been this horrible past in football that they're trying to address and saying, no, you know what, we need to make it very clear. If you're gay, we support you. We want gay fans. We want gay players. I obviously have always had an issue with it from the, well, there are loads of men that are going to be bi. Why is it always you want the first gay 
Premier League footballer. I don't understand. So if I was a bi footballer, I'd be like, mm, if I come out, you're just going to try and make me say that I'm gay. So you can have this world's first gay footballer. Um, that's a side issue. I, I will park a bisexual issue just to get through this. Um, I think that the footballers have been really set up. Can you imagine if you are a gay footballer and you have been told by all of these clubs and all of these movements and by FIFA, like, we will support gay players, we have your back, blah, blah, blah. And then they go and hold the World Cup in a country where you can go to jail for it? Like, that's a setup. That's like, come out. And then what, what would they have done? What would they have done if there was a gay player out right now that wanted to go? Like, would they be allowed to go, A, like, because they'd be out? Um, would they have to conceal who they are? Like, who knows? You would be, you would be worse off if you were a gay player right now. And that is completely invalidating everything they've done before. So they're not to be trusted. Um, and, and, you know, that's not, if anyone's listening to this that's worked on those campaigns, I'm not trying to say that your campaigns weren't valid and well done for trying valiant effort. But the reality is, if any of those gay footballers, and we know there are some, and we know there are bi players, if they had listened to you and come out, they would be in serious trouble right now if they'd have made the England squad. Whether they would have been told you can't go, it's too dangerous, or whether they'd have gone and something might have happened to them. So shame on football. Shame on David Beckham as well. I don't, Like I said, I don't judge the footballers. They wanted to wear the bands. They're not activists. They wanted to wear the bands. They were told, well, if you wear the bands, you'll be fined. They're like, you know what? Pennies to us for millionaires. We'll, we'll pay the fine. Um, then they were told, you know, well, you'll get yellow cards. And then it's like, oh, actually, would, would, it, would it further the cause if we ended up getting knocked out of the World Cup because people have been sent off for supporting this and then we ended up falling out of the World Cup? People would probably blame, blame LGBT people and say, you know what? They got too involved in it and it's cost us the World Cup. That wouldn't have helped anyone. So I, 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 I think what the players did were fine. Um, but I do, I do just think, shame on FIFA. I think the footballs have done fine. David Beckham, I think, has solid his name now. Like, he's not going there to support England. He's not going there with the weight of, a, of the nation's dream on his shoulders. He's going there to get his own 150 mil. Um, so shame on him. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant. Someone else take over. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I just think, well, two things I hope. One is that there's been a lot of talk about all this. Everyone, a, a, bit, of, a bit of virtue signaling going on as well in certain quarters um, uh, by people who don't, don't really usually get involved and feels that they have to. Um, and I'm not always convinced by that. Um, I just hope that, you know, this kind of support that seems to exist, uh, appears exists for the LGBT community, um, does mean that actually um, a bisexual footballer or a gay footballer will feel comfortable in coming out in the near future um, in, in in UK football. Um, I don't personally. I don't see it. I don't How see can it they? Anytime How soon. can they? They can't come out now. But, this has been like this. That's a death knoll in in the whole thing. They can't come out now. How can they come out and then knowing that they're going to be asked to maybe play international football? in countries where they're illegal. Like, that, it just shouldn't have well, happened. Well, I'm not sure about that because there's lots of gay, gay and bisexual footballers all who have been around for donkey's years who've played in lots of awful places over the years. And they've had to, you know, they've kept, they've kept, kept, they've kept it quiet. They've had to go ahead with it. You know what I mean? So I don't, I, I just, what I'm trying to say is I just hope that all of this talk means that actually in mainstream football in Britain and the other countries which are huge on football, that they actually do start to put the money where the mouth is when it comes to supporting 
uh, gay and, and bisexual footballers. So I hope that happens. I wouldn't get my hopes And the up. other thing I hope happens, I, other thing I hope happens is that, you know, ra- rather than just being one big thing and everyone getting the hyped up over one particular event, that in sport as a whole, international sport as a whole, we start to think about the the teams that are invited to these I- events. Not I know it's not a reflection on them as teams per se, but these countries, some of these countries should not be, if we, if, we're, if we want to take seriously human rights around LGBT issues, then we shouldn't be inviting China and North Korea and various other countries, Iran and others, to a lot of these events. Dare I say it, and a lot of our American audience won't like this, but I actually think there are elements of things that happen in America which are also to be called into question when it comes to human rights violations as well. You know, but there so, are here, Ash, yeah, as well. And here, I, mean, yeah, I think abs- about think about all the LGBTQI people that have been deported Absolutely. back to countries where it, you know, it's dangerous to be to be queer. I mean, Absolutely. every country, every country has blood yeah. on its hands in that. I way. mean, I, you know, and, and you know, take it away from LGBT issues. I have a problem with America and its death penalty, and Japan and its death penalty, and etc. So you could go on forever. But really, how much do you exclude? You know I mean? But how much in a in a competition like this? Oh, I didn't know I'd be fighting this corner. But how much in a competition like this do you punish the citizens? Like, the politicians make up these rules. There might be a lot of citizens on the ground that are either LGBT themselves or would advocate for a better world for LGBT people. Um, why should they Why should they be punished for the results of their government? You know, some of them probably don't even get a proper vote. Well, we know they don't. Um, so, you know, then you get into this space where you're punishing the people and i think that people largely you know this might be a bit optimistic but usually when you talk to people you can get through to them it's the governments that take decades to change well, could, their attitudes well, could, but i'm playing devil's i'm playing devil's advocate again here you could say that about the qatari people there could be i'm sure i'm sure there are ordinary qatari people who aren't Prejudice. But I, I'm not. Well, I'm not angry at the. Being, probably hate living in I'm the country. I'm not mad at the Qatari people. You know what I mean? I'm not mad at the Qatari people. I'm mad at an international competition being held in a place that currently will put you in jail for being LGBT. I don't think it's the. I don't think it should I, go I, there. I, look, I don't think that we should like disrespect I fully agree. the Qatari people for it. I fully, I fully agree. But it's it's such a complicated issue when you bring politics and sport together. Um, you've either got to agree that it is political and deal with it and deal with those issues and make sure that, you know, that you cover all those issues and all that and make sure that you boycott all the things where, where you know, we, we together collectively don't agree with something or you've got to ignore that and treat it as, as sport. What do you think, Nikki? Well, maybe there's a middle way and you can just <laughs> encourage, encourage protest, allow protest. Maybe that's the point. So allow the wearing of the armbands, but, you know, don't stop the football being held in Qatar. To me, that would have been the best solution. You know, you've got a massive audience. It's very significant. You have your protest. It's respectful. Yeah. It's allowed. And then the country that holds the cup and holds the views other people find repellent is also allowed to exist and be part of the competition. Mm. I think that's the only way. You allow both sides to air their views. I can't see the Women's World Cup being held in Qatar, can you? <laughs> Not any time soon. <laughs> well, I don't think they even consider it, to be fair, because at the end of the day, you know, we know that when the, with women's football, LGBT, you know, lots of LGBT people are part of that. 
and they're openly part of that. And it wouldn't be they, they they'd be well they they they'd rise up, wouldn't they, on that if that yeah, came. Yeah, but, but it's more about just women playing sport well, in yeah, so many of countries. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. you just can't have women wearing certain outfits, doing certain things in public. No, exactly. So exactly. You know exactly. So there you go. There you go. Have we have we done that great debate now? Is that done and dusted? Have we finished on that? Yeah, one? I think that was really done, fun. Done, you do anything more? <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I don't think we disagreed really. I thought we were just no, we just, but we're just bringing different shades. We were going around the edges, weren't we? Really trying to trying to yeah. create something. So okay, good stuff. Right. Well, let's go from one from the sublime to the ridiculous, then, shall we? And go to um, female orgasms, Nikki. What's ridiculous about female orgasms, Ash? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Y'all, what's wrong with this country? No, I'm kidding. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with orgasms. So oh, I've got I've got a bit of a tidbit for you about what we're going to talk about, though. Go so on. I know that Cara Delevingne has this new program on BBC Three called Planet Sex, in which she travels the world and looks at different kind of sexual practices and donates her orgasm to science stroke art. I think is the tagline <laughs> in the press release. Well, I've got to say, Cara, before you were offered this programme, I was offered it. Several years ago, Planet Sex had my name on it as a pitch. And then it didn't get picked up. It was probably about five years ago, as these things happen. But now I realise that the execs have dusted off that pitch and put Cara's name on it and managed to get the deal, which I have actually nothing... I have no problems with because I'm not famous. I can't carry a programme like she can carry it. I totally get it. But I was a bit like, hang on a minute, Planet Sex? I thought I had something to do with that, not Cara Delevingne. Yeah, we're going to have to watch this on the bisexuality thing, aren't we? Because we keep pitching bisexual ideas. and People nick your ideas, yeah, Ash. They I do. mean, it wasn't my idea. It was their idea and they put me into it. I had a meeting with them and fed them all this all this stuff about what you could do if you did a global sex programme. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit missed. Because she's, she's also making a trip to somewhere where they'd make ethical porn, isn't she, as well? As yes, part which of is absolutely a Nicky Hodgson idea. We all know if it's something about going to an ethical porn set, it's come from the heart. Well, we made, we made a Radio 4 documentary about yes. ethical porn, didn't we? So we like, did. Exactly. And I tried to set up EPP, Ethical Porn Partnership. So it's like, it, that's definitely come from me. That's not come from them. Or Caro. Exactly. Or Caro. Exactly. Well, the the good thing, the one good thing about this is, well, there's quite a few good things about it because it's first of all it's interesting, but also the fact she's actually bisexual as well, isn't she? Yeah, and she's brilliant. Like, I, I don't have any problems with her at all doing it. I just was like, oh, interesting. So tell us the concept then. What's <laughs> what's she trying to trying to put forward? I don't actually know. I haven't <laughs> read the story properly, so maybe Lewis can step in. Have you... Did you read what she's doing with? No, I thought that this was please? your topic, so I left it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me read. Give me one second to read it, and then we can do it. It won't be difficult to grasp. I think they're asking you to measure it, but I just want. Hang on, give me one second. Let's I think. Read it. I think the gist of it is something along the lines that that women, uh, sorry, that men basically aren't very good when it comes to making making women orgasm. I think that's the main. Gist. Oh yeah, well I wrote that piece for the Guardian. Lesbians know the secrets to the best sex you're not having, which was a top fourteen. Comment is free piece a few years Ooh. back, like a top 14 across the whole site for wow. the whole year. It was like in the year rundown. And it's still read and retweeted and reshared to this day because it was like so controversial, but so obvious to, to women. So, right, what is it that she's, um, she, she's trying to put forward, Nikki? Okay, so she donated a sample of her blood and um, <laughs> her orgasm. I don't know how they recorded this or what readings they took of it. To, to some scientists so they could study the effects on her body chemistry of the orgasm. 
Um, and this was part of a research project into the gender climax gap, which is about men being much more likely to have an orgasm than women during sex. Right. OK. And reading on, I think it talks about or she talks about men not basically being very good at helping women get orgasms because statistics suggest that I think is it something like only 25, 30 percent of women ever have an orgasm or something or that she reckons actually yeah, that's yeah. quite quite she she quite thinks that's an ambitious figure she thinks it's less doesn't she? yeah so it's, it, she, she's quoted as saying scientists say that 95 percent of straight men orgasm during intercourse but only 65 percent of straight women do so you've got a gap of 30 percent yeah it's a big it's a, um, bit, it's a big gap so let's let's uh, unravel this a little bit let's unravel the female orgasm for 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 me and lewis if you can <laughs> <laughs> well yeah well i mean what can i say about it it's not elusive, It's and it's amazing how quickly women can come when they're sorting themselves out. Of course. You know? of course. There's all this mystery attached to female orgasm, but actually I think the mystery is attached to a basic anatomical observation on men's part. You know, we don't have good sex education. We're not really taught how... We're not taught pleasure in schools, are we? We're taught about how... We're taught an avoidance model. Don't get an STI and don't get pregnant. We're not talk, talk, talked about... or We don't talk about how to give someone pleasure. So someone doesn't show you the anatomy of a woman and say, right, if you touch these parts, these parts, these parts, this might feel good and this is what you do next, which yeah. is what most men would benefit from. Or we're talking... And also, por- and porn doesn't, obviously. Like, no. you watch... If you watch women coming in porn, they're not actually having real orgasms, like, 99% of the time. And if you were to, as a young guy, I think, to watch that as a, a sort of study of how women orgasm, you'd be absolutely clueless for the rest of your life. <laughs> and, of course, a lot for a lot of the time... Young people are taught that, or have been taught for many years, that sex is dirty. It's dirty things. You yeah. should be doing it. And still, and still are. They're still put off from you know exploring pleasure and exploring their bodies. So, so, so in your yeah. in your vast experience, Nikki, <laughs> <laughs> vast, yeah. What, sorry. What what uh, what what do you think in your experience men do wrong? What is it that men aren't getting right? Well, there's a few things. There's a few things. So the first thing is going in too hard when you're having sex. So what I mean by that is being too rough with you. It's a bit like, this goes back to play, sort of playground politics, you know, like when boys are a bit rougher with girls and, you know, girls are a bit more, they kind of like hold themselves back a bit physically. That's one thing. Men don't understand the pressure needed uh, to stimulate female parts, I think, a lot of the time. And that's not their fault. They don't have those parts. So they often need more pressure than we do. The only way you'll learn how much pressure to apply is being taught by someone. You know, someone literally putting their hand on yours and steering you and you learning what feels good. So that that is alert, that can be learned, but I think just too many men don't bother to learn it, don't bother to pay attention. And also women feel inhibited about showing that because, you know, they're worried that if they show a man what they're doing wrong, that's going to make them feel bad about themselves and not want to have sex with them anymore. So that's one of the problems. Um... Again, watching too much porn and just thinking what happens in porn is what will happen in the bedroom, which is just not true. So many women... And also and also then thinking that they can learn this one method that will apply to all women when all women are different. Everyone likes pressure applied differently. Everyone likes different bits of their genitalia touched, other bits of their body touched at the same time in order to get them to orgasm. So it, your orgasm as a woman is as idiosyncratic as you are, in my opinion. Yeah, and I actually think, you know, Everyone thinks that the male orgasm is simple as well. 
you know, everyone thinks it's a simple thing. That's that men can just do it and whatever. But actually, that's come, that can be quite complex as well. We yeah, never really I have a discussion. Agree. We never have a proper discussion about that, to be honest. You no, know, I never completely agree about, with you. you know. and, I mean, like, there's a massive difference between having, for me anyway, between having sex with men that have a foreskin or not. That is a totally different technique to getting them to come. And then just like lots of different things. Like there's lots of other factors that will affect, affect your sensitivity and what you need. So, yeah, I agree with you. I feel like everyone's orgasm should be treated, should be taken on its own merits, and you should learn for that person. Yeah. You can't, and, you can't learn a method and apply it to everyone. And, and when, when, it comes to, when it comes to gay men, uh, a, a lot of gay men are, you know, to be fair, are obsessed with a certain part of the anatomy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are other bits to that anatomy, bits that are attached to that anatomy. They're actually quite important. And they never get, often that never gets, never, never gets looked at. So Lewis, are you, are you the, you're the, you're the perfect, perfect man in bed, aren't you? Yeah, obviously be bisexual, of course. I mean, I I do think (laughs) that being bi gives you um, an advantage. You obviously know what a penis inside you feels like. Um, So, you know, I think that that is a little bit of an advantage. And also once you've, you know, had a man top you, I, I like to think that that's kind of like, okay, well, now I understand this from a perspective a lot of straight men don't. But not to say that being bisexual makes you perfect in bed. I mean, I think it's just, it's a really complex issue, really, isn't it? And there's so many different factors. And I think our generation in particular, we are on the pinnacle of this whole, well, men are just like, well, it doesn't matter about her enjoying it. Like, it's about me saying that I got to have sex with her. And this whole idea of women being too timid to kind of say, look, if you just go a bit to the left. So we are where we are. And I'm, I'm sure Kara's show is going to make some huge strides forward, but not as well as it would have done if Nikki Hodgson would have um, been capping, <laughs> captaining the shit. Thanks, yeah. Lewis. <laughs> so, oh so, so what about, um, um, well, we've, we've, we've given the impression that everybody who's having every woman who's having sex with another woman is having perfect uh, sex what's the reality on that nikki what's you know obviously, i know you you would say i'm sure that the that a lot of women do get it right but i'm sure there must be teething troubles on that one as well sometimes oh yeah definitely and also sex with women goes on for hours which can be a good thing and a bad thing sometimes you're just really knackered you just want to get one done and then go to sleep and then you're there like two hours later still you know, that is very different kind of like trajectory of sex, I find, or I have found when I've slept with girls. But I think, um, again, this whole thing of everyone being different as a woman, if you think the way you like to be touched is the way your female partner will like to be touched, you might be very wrong about that again. Because, it, again, it's so personal. Mm-hmm. So you've got to learn. You've got to relearn every time for every person. Well, I can safely say that... <laughs> That gay male sex, I'm sure Lewis would agree with me, doesn't last for hours and hours and hours and hours, does it, uh, Lewis? Not if it's only with <laughs> one other person. <laughs> Anybody who's got any comments on that? Any you want to, you know, let us know your experiences. Please do get in touch and let us know who makes the perfect, uh, perfect lover. Um, is it uh, is it gay men, bi men, straight men, um, lesbians, trans men, trans women, non-binary? Tell us, uh, tell us your experiences. Get in touch with us soon. So coming up, we've got Ask a Bisexual. But before that, we've got our bisexual journey story. That's coming up in a few moments' time. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. 
You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. Right, so it's another bisexual journey story on Bisexual Brunch and uh, we're heading stateside again for this one uh, to talk to a chap called John Perkins who's on the eastern side of the United States. Where exactly are you, John? I'm in down east Maine. So closest city to where I'm at would be Bangor. I had visions that you, most most of the time, when everybody says on the East Coast, it just it ends up being New York or something. So you're a different different area. So what kind of area is that then? Is it quite rural or what, what kind of patch is that? It's very rural. Uh, you know, it's my hometown doesn't have traffic lights. Uh, right. You know, where I went to high school, I, I could look out the window from our science classrooms and I could see the ocean. Uh, we... When I did sports, I was on the sailing team. So it was uh, definitely unique, you know, not your traditional experience where like you're playing either, you know, football or soccer or baseball. Like We did have those sports as well. But, you know, it was, you know, if you're on the ocean, you might as well take advantage of it. Sounds like a great place to grow up, was it, in many ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, you know, very beautiful. You know, you're the it's one of those places that you grow up in that you really take for granted until you move away. And then when you come back, you appreciate it a lot more as an adult. Uh, I definitely did. You know, as a teenager, you know, it's like, man, well, whatever. But, you know, as you know, coming home as an adult, you're like, man, I miss that view. And you know, I couldn't wait to get back. Uh, the, I'd say that the very surprising thing about it is that, you know, I, I guess it's one of those places where, you know, it's okay to be queer and no one says anything about it. You know, it's, there are of course people who have, you know, their strong opinion. However, when you look at the, the big picture, uh, the overall fact was like, if, if you say you're, you know, somewhere on the queer spectrum, you know, it's like sharing irrelevant information. You know, I, I remember when my cousin came out as a lesbian, my dad looked at her and said, well, I like blueberry pie. Are we done sharing useless information? <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. And, and has it always been like that? I mean, was it like that when you, you remember it being like that pretty liberal minded when you were a kid as well, or has that changed over time? I think it's, it's definitely evolved over time. It's interesting because, you know, I, growing up, you know, I, I'd see people that were, you know, gay or lesbian, uh, never really heard the word bisexual. You know, that that was something I don't think I really heard till I was in my late teens, early 20s. And I remember the first time I heard it, it was, you know, that's for women only. It's okay if a woman likes another woman and still likes men, but if you're a guy, then you're just gay and in denial. And, you know, that was really hard for me to reconcile because, you know, I remember, you know, looking at, you know, as a kid, you know, you'd have a crush on a, on a boy and you'd have a crush on a girl. And I knew that it was, something that it was really hard for me to to articulate to people and on the same token i also knew that it wasn't a question i could ask so it was caused quite a bit of turmoil from a young age and you know i 
you know, have a very loving family, very accepting family. You know, they're absolutely fantastic. Um, so didn't really have any home-based childhood trauma. You know, it was just me coming to terms with this. And I think the hardest part was self-acceptance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the main thing about it is, isn't it really, that, you know, uh, there's so many people today say, oh, well, we've, we've de- you know, we've developed and we've moved on and everyone's accepting, nobody's bothered. This is the mainstream, generally everyone thinks this, that, um, you know, younger people are more accepting. But the plain fact of the matter is that, yes, we have as, as societies in certain parts of the world moved on, um, but still the word bisexual doesn't get talked about, doesn't get discussed. It's just not part of the equation, is it, a lot of the time? Um, and I'm sure you've got something to say about that, and we'll come to that in a minute, but let's just roll things back a bit. So you're now in your 40s, is that right? Yes, I'm 44. You're 44. So and what what's your relationship at the moment? You're in a relationship with a woman, is that right, at the moment? Uh, actually, my partner is a trans man. So the, I, before this, my, I had a partner who was female and I would also describe myself as being poly. So I've, my relationship dynamics definitely evolved after I got divorced because I felt like I, I was free in the sense to explore Mm. a different dynamic and to find something that was more in line with how I viewed the world. Let's unpack that in a moment because otherwise we might get people, people might get confused about it, but let's go, let's go back. Like we always do with these, really um, these interviews right to the beginning. You were talking about your childhood and how you find it difficult to sort of accept things yourself kind of thing. When did it appear to you in your in your own mind that you might be bi or pan or you know so on that spectrum? You know, did you think though? Did you realize there was a spectrum? When did you realize there was a spectrum? Did that happen as a kid, or did it happen much later in life? You know, I, I think I I realized that I was different about the age of maybe eleven or twelve. And I don't think I really, you know, I I realized that it was, there had to be something different or there had to be something more because, you know, it's, it's really confusing when you're trying to figure out like, you know, if I'm physically attracted to someone and their gender doesn't really matter, why isn't there a word that describes that? And, you know, of course, growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, the, the early days of the Internet, that wasn't something that, you know, popped to my head to, to search and investigate. And I really don't think I would have found much anyway, unless it was porn. So, I mean, it was just very interesting. You know, the as I came to realize this about myself and you know like I said it was the the hard part was really accepting it myself and realizing that there is absolutely nothing wrong with me you know the I think it was more of a challenge to figure out relationship dynamics if I was dating someone or you know 
trying to meet new people. I went through this phase where I was trying to bury that side of me. You know, I, I figured that, you know, it, it needed to be put in a box and put in the back of the storage unit that is my brain and, you know, suppress it. You know, this isn't normal. This isn't right. You know, just ignore it and it will eventually go away. When you say you're trying and to suppress course, that side of you, do you, do you mean to suppress the, 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 the gay side of you? Is that, I mean, you're trying to suppress that. So was it, well, or was it trying to suppress this, this notion that in your mind you were attracted to different genders, but you felt as though you really had to make a choice and focus on one, as it were? Right. And, and because, you know, that's what you would hear is that you need to pick a side. And, you know, I was very strongly attracted to women. And I was like, well, even though I'm very interested in men, uh, and, you know, it, it's, it was absolute agony. You know, you'd, you'd go to a coffee shop to buy a coffee and you'd find everyone attractive that was working there. And, you know, you kind of sit in your car and I'm like, it's kind of hard to figure out who you have a crush on. But... <laughs> You, but you get past that. And, you know, as an adult, you know, some of my other friends that are also bi, you know, we, we joke about it. Like you go out for coffee. I'm like, who do you think's cuter? You know, the guy over there making the latte or the girl that's restocking the pastries. I'm like, well, I think they're on equal footing. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And it, but that, the, but you having a conversation like you just said there with other bi people, it is quite unique for a lot of the people who are listening to this show because so many people out there don't know any other bisexual people. The only bisexual people they probably know are people listening to on this show. So um, that is, that's quite unique. So we'll, we'll talk, let's talk about that a little bit later. It'd be nice to know a little bit more about the people you've managed to meet. So, so, so you had this situation as a young, as a young, as a youngster of, of sort of having to feeling forced to sort of, deny certain things or to to make some kind of choice or decision obviously you, you weren't you were never going to be able to do that so because no. naturally you you are you are bisexual so did you how did it play out did you end up having phases where you go to gay bars and clubs and things and enjoy yourself that way and then other times when you'd end up in a relationship with a woman and just 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 deny the other side. I mean, were there periods when you were doing, you were meeting both, you know, how did it, how did it pan out? I mean, to be fair, you know, as a single person who's bisexual, if you can cope with it all, it could be quite an exciting time, can't it? When you're younger, <laughs> but it, but it, but it's, Absolutely. You know, you've got you it, know, you, you, there's things, there's dicey things to navigate along the way. That's all. Uh, interestingly enough, like I, I remember the, the first time I went to a gay bar and, and believe it or not, it was in Southampton, England. I was there on a work trip. I was with, with one of my colleagues that I had gone on the trip with. And there were two people that were from, you know, they, they basically handled publicity for the, the outfit I was working for. And, you know, we decided that, you know, here in Southampton, that, let's do a pub crawl. Like it was our first time in town. Let's check it out. We went to the first one and... It was really busy. It was quiz night. So finding a place to sit down was not happening. And we went to the pub that was right next door. And it turned out to be a gay bar. And 
none of us realized it till we'd sat down and had our second round because we were so engrossed in conversation. And we got in there and I realized there's, you know, apart from the woman that was in our party, there were only two other women there and they were the bartenders. And looking back on it, I'm pretty sure they were dating each other. They had a, a very cozy dynamic, but there were a lot of guys in there, a lot of handsome guys that were in there. And I remember there was a, a guy that was sitting at the bar and he kept looking over at me and, and, and smiling. And then like, I looked over at my work colleague and like, he came from a different part of the States. He was from a very rural area of Texas. And he immediately stiffened up and was like gripping the table, you know, staring like he had that thousand mile stare looking ahead. He was drinking his, his beer and kind of looked over at him like, are you okay? And he's like, I just want to finish up and move along. Okay. Well, I'm looking around and I'm like, well, I realized at that moment that if, if I'd been by myself, I, I would have been lingering because I definitely found the place very, it was just amazing. Like I, I'd never been in a, in a bar like that. And, you know, of course, being with a group of people and, you know, having buried that side of me for a very long time uh it was a matter of just like you know we, we got up and we moved back and i was like man i'd really like to go back there but you know had to move on and you know i it was kind of funny because you know whenever you know we we got together and we talked about the night you know the way he tells the story it was like he he couldn't get out of there fast enough. And, you know, he was so uncomfortable. The other two people in our party, just they were so engrossed in their conversation. I we could have been in a tea room for all that mattered because they just were oblivious to everything around us. And only my my work colleague and I had picked up on on what kind of place it was. But it was like, you know, you at that stage you really, it was like playing poker, you know, you had to keep a poker face because, you know, I could tell by his reaction, it wasn't something I could obviously explore, but, you know, we, we moved along from that and, you know, it wasn't until I'd say about four or five years ago, I started going back to gay bars and, you know, it was, it was nice knowing that I could go into a bar and just be myself. Uh, you know, truth of the matter is, you know, you, you're, you're going for the atmosphere because I've discovered that as I travel, beer tastes the same everywhere. So, you know, it's, you know, you, you go for the atmosphere, you, you, you go for the people. You're not necessarily going just to get a drink because otherwise you would just, you know, pick drinks up on your way home and have them with your dinner and go to bed. How did you, how did you find it? Because some people warm to it really well and get on with it and really enjoy, you know, the, 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 the drag queens and the campness of it. Not all places like that, but obviously often places are. Some people get into that and enjoy that. Other people, they find that very uncomfortable. How did you find it? It was very shocking at first and very overwhelming. 
you know, you can have a bucket list of things you want to experience, you know, as you explore your queerness. And I learned that you ultimately have to do what you're comfortable with, you know, and sometimes you do have to get out of that comfort zone. That being said, you know, I, I often think about something George Takai said, you know, where, you know, of course, I'm going to misquote this, where, you know, someone was talking about the gay lifestyle. And, you know, he was very quick to point out that it's not a lifestyle, either you're gay or you're not. And, you know, when I think about it, there's, you know, you can be queer, you can be, you know, wherever you fall in the queer spectrum. But there is a gay lifestyle in the sense that, you know, if, if you if you like the the pageantry of what you can experience when you go out, like, you know, I, I have friends that are queer that, you know, I would say they they like to live it up. You know, the the more outlandish, the better, you know, it's every day is a pride parade. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I admire how their, their free spirited embrace of all things queer culture. And they're fantastic people. But when you take a step back and you look at the big picture, people are just people. You know, I can celebrate myself and, you know, I celebrate it the way I want to. You know, like I can wear a T-shirt if I want or I can just wear, you know, my my favorite flannel or polo shirt and, you know, do what I want. You know, there's it's not it's a part of me. It's not what defines me. And the what's truly important is that you accept all parts of yourself. You know, it's because it is part of you. You know, it's it's part of what makes you unique, but it's not a hobby. You know, it's not something that you're, it's not like a hat that you're just trying on and realize, you know, maybe this isn't the fashion statement I want to make. This is, this is really, you know, it's part of who I am, but it's not all of who I am. It's a bit of a baptism of fire at the beginning. because You don't really quite know what to expect. And I suppose it depends on, you know, people in their teenage years can be you know, daunted by it and shocked by it. And, you know, if a, if a drag queen sets upon a young young man, it frighten them, frighten them to death sometimes. Um, but equally, if you're much older, uh, it can also be daunting, can't it? Because you were a lot older before you, when you started going into the, into these bars. So was the, I mean, this is only a few, you said it was only a few years ago. So was the clientele mixed in terms of, was it, was it quite young or was it quite broad in terms of age groups and things? So it was, it was while I was living in Hawaii. So that you had the full gambit of people. You had everyone from uh, the people that clearly had a fake ID uh, all the way up to, you know, the the folks that are, you know, they're, they're obviously drawing a pension. And but everyone was there having a good time. And, you know, Hawaii had a had an amazing community. You know, they, they had a lot of uh, gay intramural sports leagues that you know it didn't matter where you were within the it didn't matter what letter you fell behind uh, or if you were just someone that was an ally you know all were welcome to come and participate 
and you know it was for a place where you you're learning to reacquaint and reaccept yourself it was a, a great place to to land and you know i you know again one of my close friends uh, who is actually also a former partner uh, she and i would go and of course there was one bar in particular that we'd always go to it was one of our favorites it had you know like i said when you go to a, a bar or a pub you go for the vibe you go mm -hmm. for the the people and you know there was there was a nightclub there that like it didn't matter that it was a, a gay nightclub i just i found i personally i find nightclubs to be very overwhelming you know i I guess it's part of the fear that I'll end up on YouTube or TikTok with my terrible dancing skills. So going, going to a regular bar or pub is definitely more my speed. And we would go there and everyone would assume that we we're just the straight couple. And, you know, when we realized what was going on, you know, we, we very quickly made a, a game of it where like, I, I remember there was a guy that I had been, you know, We'd, we'd been seeing each other casually and he happened to be there one night when she and I went and, you know, she went to the bathroom and he walked over and, and put his hand on my back. He's like, you didn't tell me you had a girlfriend. Does she know? And, you know, I, in retrospect, I, it was terrible, but it was also terrible fun. And I was like, it'll just be between you and I, you know, the, <laughs> and, you know, you could tell he was a bit jealous and, you know, he, he implied that, you know, I, I, I just simply needed some additional convincing and coaxing to, to finally just get rid of that part of me. And of course, you know, he got up to, to get another drink and she comes back from the bathroom. I'm like, I need to fill you in. This is what's going on. And she just winked at me and, and had a very devilish grin. And, and we just, we had fun with it that night. And, you know, it was, you know, eventually I told him, I'm like, you know, you do realize that we're both bisexual. You know, there is no way we could be disappointed with whatever we're looking for. And what he just kind of let out a sigh. Yeah. more of a like a he he, he just was like ah oh, okay <laughs> it's like i guess you'll always like women i you know i'm i'm pretty sure that i'll like men and women till my dying breath you know it's yeah. you know the the important part is finding someone you click with and someone that you can share your heart with and the as far as I'm concerned that the real blessing is it doesn't matter what parts they have. Yes. You know, it's about the person you're with. You know, I, I just, that's just how I see it. Absolutely. But it's tremendously frustrating though, isn't it? To be in that environment. I mean, you, you've told me two stories there whereby if, if the world was much more accepting and open about bisexuality, it would have been, much, life would have been much easier. You know, with that guy who was in the bar in Southampton, if you've been able to say, well, actually, you know what? I quite like this because I quite, I quite like all the different people who are in here. And you know what? I'm bisexual. And, you know, it'd be great for him to have said, oh, really? All right. That's interesting. Whatever. And the same in the, in the, in the gay bar. If you to be able to actually 
uh, say that and be accepted and not for people to think that it means anything other than the fact that you, you know, can fancy, in theory, different genders. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's very frustrating. And I find it very... In 2022, I find it really sad that we've still not... We've gone through all the gay world business. We've even done the trans stuff. And we'll talk about that in a bit. You know, all those things have happened, but bisexuality, people still can't get their heads round. And I find it, I find it bonkers. I think the whole thing just really, really strange. But let's talk a little bit about your relationships with men and women, because Lewis often talks about this, doesn't he? Yeah. About how you have to navigate a different world with men and women in different ways. And we'll talk about um, dating a trans man as well in a minute. But, but you know. What's your experience been in terms of dating a man, dating a woman, and how that's played out and how you've had to – because nobody teaches you this, do they? You know, nobody tells you how to no. deal with a woman, deal with a man, whatever. Um, how have you navigated that? And have there been a few issues along the way when you've realised that actually it is quite different? Um, you know, was it – when you were oh. early on, was that was that quite difficult to navigate? Yes, definitely. I, I think that for a long time, I, I felt like it was a very, it was a monumentous task to establish an emotional connection with someone of the same gender. You know, it was, it seemed like if I just wanted to have sex, it was easy to find a guy. Uh, but if I wanted that um, more meaningful connection, that, that stronger connection, then I had to you know, I had to pair off with a woman and that was, you know, for a long time, that was the choice. Uh, you know, when, when I got married, I, I felt like I was making a choice and I was, that choice was for commitment, you know, and, and it, this was someone that I thought I was going to be married to until my dying breath. And, you know, things happen. Uh, and, Unfortunately, you know, we ended up getting divorced. You know, she's a lovely woman and a fantastic mother, and we're still on very good terms with each other. And my sexual identity didn't play a role in why our marriage ended. You know, it's just life marches on. But was she straight? And she was straight, though, was she? The straight woman, was she? She was. Yeah, yeah. As far as I'm aware, yes. Okay. And did, so, you, did, you, did you tell her about your bisexuality? I did. And, you know, that was early on in our relationship. And it was one of those things where, you know, I said it and, you know, it was kind of like, I think it went in one ear and out the other and it really wasn't acknowledged. Um, I guess, you know, and it wasn't really an issue. Uh, you know, I, at that stage, you know, I was dedicating all of my energy into being a husband and being a father. And after we separated, you know, it was me giving myself permission to start to reacquaint myself with that. You went through that phase of being you're in a relationship with a woman, you know, you're in a marriage and had kids, whether you like it or not, as a bisexual person. Um, it doesn't matter how much you say you're bisexual, how much you promote yourself as being bisexual, where it may be. You're you're in that sort of straight world, aren't you? In a way, did you find 
obviously you obviously you were keen on being committed and that was you felt that that was the right thing to do and you probably would have felt the same with a with a man at that particular point if you'd gone down that route or whatever if you found somebody who was felt as committed as you did um but did you feel did you feel trapped in that situation do you feel i mean we'll talk about the release you've had since then but did it feel did you did you ever question the fact that you're in this relationship with this person and this was going to be forever and there was not going to be any opportunity to do anything else did that ever get to you i'm going to say no because at the time i i looked at this as you know i was excited to take a journey with someone for the rest of my life and i remember like it was before we had children, you know, I remember looking at her and smiling and saying, I wonder what stories we're going to tell our grandchildren, you know, and that was how I approached it. But, you know, I also had a very, you know, a very linear look at life, you know, that there's a path that you, you need to take, you follow that path, it's very structured. And, you know, if you deviate, then you need to come up with a whole new plan to make sure everything is on track. And, you know, it was very purposeful. And, you know, it was, you know, get married, you have kids, you have career, you retire, have grandkids. And, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, however, there's also a lot more to life. And, sexuality aside you really need to give yourself permission to enjoy the world around you and i i think that for me i never felt trapped because of my sexuality but i would say that i've had certain situations in my in my life where i felt trapped because i trapped myself and i didn't give myself permission to enjoy the moment and you know it was you know this is years before, you know, you, you started hearing things about mindfulness and, you know, having to learn to, to relax and loosen up, you know, it was very, very rigid. And, you know, that was a, a box of my own making. And, you know, it, it's being able to fully embrace, you know, the gift that is life is, something unto itself and a, and a whole nother discussion. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It's all, it's all interconnected, isn't it? So you, so you're in this relationship with, with a woman and uh, luckily you managed to you say you managed your own good terms, which is great. Fantastic. Um, but obviously finishing that uh, relationship has, has opened up a whole new world for you. And you told us at the beginning about um, the, you now uh, dating a trans man. And also you, you see yourself on the poly spectrum and we haven't heard from many people in these bisexual conversations about being about being poly, but I know there are a lot of people who are bi or poly. I also know there are a lot of trans people who are bi as well, which we don't hear masses about, but we know we know that that exists. So tell us how you how you navigate. So when you when you when you got divorced and you 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 got this whole new world out there, how did you set about it? What were you because obviously you can quite easily be in a situation whereby at forty odd where you might find somebody end up in a relationship yet again, and then you, you're in that, you know, kind of thing. But I suppose, you know, it's at this particular point, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, actually, you know what? There's lots of things I've never explored, lots of things I've never done. Um, I want to do them. Was, was, that, was that your approach? So you thought, actually, I want, to, I want to enjoy myself for a little bit now? That was part of my approach. I felt that if I fancied someone, then I wanted to 
go and explore the possibility of that. And, you know, there was a lot of trial and error. And of course, after being married for a long time, uh, I don't think your sexual identity plays into the equation with post-divorce when you're in your early 40s. Dating is terrible. Uh, you know, it, it that was an awful experience. You know, it was like I felt like I needed to take ba a bath in kerosene after using dating apps because it just did not seem right. You know, it was, you know, that was definitely pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And well, it, it taking, didn't matter. Turning the clock back, you in the early in the old days, you would never have done that, would you? Because you, when you, when you were oh, starting Lord out, no. like when I was starting out, you'd have met somebody in a bar or met somebody through friends or whatever. You wouldn't, the dating apps just didn't exist, did they? So, you know, it's a whole new world, isn't it? It, it, it definitely was. And like, I remember before I got divorced, like I'd see my, like I'd have coworkers that would get on something like Tinder and, you know, I'd look at it and I'm like, what a, what a, terrible way to meet people and of course i having used it myself after getting divorced i was like i always i didn't know what to make of it like i it was for me it was a very baffling experience and i'd, I'd say the only time it was really enjoyable was like if like myself and some of my other friends you know we'd sit down and we'd be swiping through and laughing like and you know I, at the time I was trying to get work as a narrator. So we, we had this game where like, and it didn't matter what the app was, someone would hand me their phone and I would narrate the dating profile and we'd all get a good laugh out of it. And, you know, I, and I would narrate it like I was doing it like a nature documentary or an advertisement. And it was to, to comedic effect. And like, and I would always read things very literally. So if there was an abbreviation, I would just read the letters off very awkwardly on purpose. And, you know, for me, that was the most enjoyable part of using a dating app. And, you know, I have a, a small circle of friends that like in our group chat, well, if you see a funny dating profile, we'll send them to each other just so we can get a good laugh. And like, and it doesn't matter, Tinder, Bumble, Grinder, whatever app, people put some hilarious things in their profile. And it's like, are, are you actually meeting people? Like, is this working for you? Like I, you know, of course there, there isn't a, a podcast or a YouTube channel where you track people down and interview them off their dating profiles. But you know, it's, it's no shortage of comedy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So did you dip your toes, though? Did you actually go and meet people through Tinder and Grinder and things like that? Yes, um, I, I definitely used Grinder, And, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with using an app like that. But I, I do feel like uh, they call it Grinder for a reason, because you feel like you've been through the grinder when you're done. And, you know, having used Tinder, you know, it was like, it, it came with all the awkwardness of a blind date, except you knew who the other person looked like and you'd been chatting for a while, but when you'd actually meet up, it would be like starting from scratch. And, you know, it was, I had 
there were a few experiences where it left me realizing, wow, I, I do not have this skill set. I am, you know, <laughs> did, you, did you find, did you find yourself being able to, because the whole thing about, I suppose about dating apps in a way, unlike being out in the open, you know, when, when we go to, when we go to bars and things, we don't have a, a big B on our forehead saying we're bisexual, but I suppose on a dating app, although there's no specific ones for bisexual people, we, we know this, but I'll exclusively anyway, but, on a dating app, you can at least be up front and actually say on the wording, I'm bi or whatever. Did you do that? And if you did, did you find what what reaction did you find? Because I've discovered a mixed reaction, but I've also discovered more than anything, uh, a lot of animosity to it, particularly uh, within gay male circles. Let's put it that way. So that was interesting. Uh, so, and I'll use Tinder as a specific example. Uh, and again, there's nothing wrong with Tinder. I noticed that when I put bisexual in my profile, I stopped getting matches. Uh, it, it, it came to, it was like hitting the brakes. It came to a screeching halt. And when I had it set up for, you know, men and women, um, I matched with a lot of guys that were specifically like there were a couple of gay guys where that was their fetish. They wanted the, the bi or bi curious individual. And I thought that was, I found it really strange, but you know, the reality is, you know, having dealt with, you know, a variety of situations that really, I don't know why I was surprised that that would happen. You know, it was in retrospect, it was very predictable. Were you, I, did you, did you like it though? I mean, did you, you know, Lewis and I have spoken to this, about this on the show, haven't we? You know, did you, were you flattered by that or did it, did it irritate you? A little of both. Um, you know, the, there were a couple of guys that like, they were genuinely curious because you know, one of them told me that when they were trying to come to terms with being gay, they told people that they were bisexual. And I'm like, well, you know, this is part of the problem because that's why a lot of people have that hardwired belief that, you know, you know, it's bi now, gay later. And, you know, that's not the case. And, you know, like one of my best friends who who's gay was like, because, you know, I, that's when I came out, that's what I told people I'm, I'm, I'm bisexual, but really I was only into men. And he's like, you're one of the first people that I've met. That's a guy that he goes, I know you're bisexual. I know that you like gender is not, you know, something that constrains you. And of course I, I had to tease him a little bit and I said, well, that's typical of you monosexuals. So, you know, it was, but, you know, and it's, and, you know, he, and of course this other guy that I'd matched with, you know, it had the surprising benefit of being able to establish a dialogue because they, like, there were a lot of questions. He's like, so, you know, how do you know what you're looking for? And I said, well, honestly, I, I don't. 
you know, if I find someone attractive and interesting, then I find them attractive and interesting. I'm not going to lie. I have these periods where like I will go a stretch where I'm only interested in a particular gender. It's a cycle, you know, and, you know, there's, it's kind of like, sometimes I have no idea where it's going to land. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have a stretch where it's like, I'm, I'm only interested in women. I'll have a stretch where I'm only interested in men. And, and then I'll have a stretch where just everyone will seem really interesting. <laughs> and I, 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 I've, I've found that in those moments where I, I find everyone really interesting um, it's just also super awkward because it's like, I, I realize like I'm self-aware to know that it's happening, but I, I don't know how to process it. So it's like, I, I tend to withdraw a little bit because it's like, well, you know, it's, it's just difficult to process, you know, like, you know, the, the last time that happened, I was in California and I went into a Starbucks and, you know, the, the guy behind the counter was, he was really handsome and very flirty and I was flirting back. And then the, the woman that made my drink, she was also very attractive and very flirty. And like, I walked out of there going, well, I, I think I just need to sit down for a bit because I don't know how to process all this. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and let's face it, you know, um, there'll be conversations we, we me, me, Lewis and Nikki have, and I, I think they maybe see things slightly differently to uh, to me. We all do because everyone's different at the end of the day. Um, but I do think there's quite a lot of bisexual people out there that, you know, bisexual heaven, for some people, and me included, probably you sometimes, is occasionally to think of a situation where might you might be with men and women together or whatever it may be. And that is something that can't often be talked about, isn't it? Because it's seen as, well, first of all, it's seen as very sexual. Everybody, you know, oh, can't talk about sex. You know, it's all about monogamous relationships, blah, blah, blah. Um, and people don't, people don't sort of talk about it. But I, I, I do think there is a, a lot of people out there would love to be in that situation. Have you, presumably, we're talking about the poly thing, I suppose, now. It gets us into that a little bit. I do want to focus on the trans, dating a trans, a, a trans man, though, in a moment. But, um you know, have you then managed now to be in a situation whereby those fantasies that are in your mind, you've actually been able to enact in reality? So I uh, haven't been able to, to do that per se, although I have had the conversation. And one thing that it was actually a really funny moment. There was there was a, a woman that I was seeing uh, back in Hawaii and she this is she was one of the first people that I started to see after getting divorced and you know one day you know after we stopped seeing each other you know we remained friends and I later found out after the fact that uh, she was bisexual and you know we had a good laugh and I was like oh well me too but, you know, we were both, quote unquote, playing it straight when we were seeing each other. And she didn't want to tell me that she was bisexual when we were seeing each other because she was concerned that I would just be like, well, you and your girlfriend, we need to have a threesome. And I remember at one point she and I talked about having a threesome, 
like she, I think she was trying to gauge to see my, what my reaction would be. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, if that's something you would like to do, I'm, I'm open to that. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh man, I get to have another dude with this woman. And she was thinking, oh, he just wants me to find another woman. And, you know, when, when she and I talked about it after the fact, we had a good laugh about it. And, you know, even though it was something we never did, you know, in retrospect, it was like, okay, you know, the, what appeals to you uh, in that situation? And there's nothing wrong if, if you want to explore that element. And, you know, it's, as long as everyone is, is consenting and it's what you want, you know, 100% in support of that. And I think it's important that everyone explore, you know, where they, they want to find out what your parameters are when it comes to what your sexuality is. You know, it's okay to be sex positive, you know, just be safe about it. And, you know, again, that's a different discussion. You know, I've preached to a lot of my friends that are, you know, whether they're queer or whether they're straight, that, you know, be safe, take precautions. But in any case, but yeah, it's that after the fact, realizing that, you know, you know, this is something you're interested in, but, you know, what makes it compelling, what makes it interesting to you and, you know, what the other person is thinking, like, unless you fully discuss what you want to do, like you want to express your desire, you want to, you know, communicate what you think you want mm -hmm. and find out what you actually want. You know, it's, it's funny because, you know, that was, you know, two people that haven't disclosed their, their sexual identity to each other talking about this desire and the assumptions you're making about the other person, yeah. because, yeah. you know, because, you know, the, in the end, if I'm going to bed with someone, I want to make sure that, you know, it is a, an experience that everyone is happy with. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. It, it is interesting though, you know, cause there are, which doesn't get talked about much. I think we have again mentioned it a couple of times on the show, but there are, and Nikki's admitted it, there are women out there who are quite interested in seeing two guys getting, getting it on, aren't they? You know, and it just doesn't really get talked about and explored that much. If we're much more open as societies, then we might, you know, things like that might might happen more. I'm sure they probably will do in the future. So tell us a bit about being poly then. What what does that mean to you? And how have you sort of come to that point of deciding that you're going to have that kind of lifestyle? What does it actually mean in reality? So the, the reality of it for me is that being poly for me, it doesn't necessarily mean that there is a sexual connection. You know, it's, I look at the total connection with the partners that I have with my primary partner being a trans man, you know, it, that is a very fulfilling relationship for me. And I have these other relationships that are also fulfilling on different levels. You know, sometimes it's sexual fulfillment. Sometimes it's emotional fulfillment. Optimally, it is total fulfillment. And, you know, it's, it takes a lot of communication. It takes, you know, good listening 
skills because you you need to to process what your other partners are saying to you and you know something that is incredibly important is you need a good calendar uh you you know it's time management is huge learning to accept that you know seeing everyone that you love and care about that they also feel love they know they care, they're cared about and that they can explore themselves they they can see you know they, they can communicate their needs and they can find fulfillment elsewhere when i first started exploring being poly i was always a secondary partner and that was it was very interesting because you know you you have to you know does, I, does I that does that mean you, does that mean that you you set out being poly with somebody who was already outwardly poly is that what you mean yes yeah yes and or you are you're being added to the family or the polycule if you will and you know it was it was very fulfilling but it was at the same time, you know, it was also very stressful because, you know, you have someone that you love and care about, but the dynamic was one that required a lot of, you know, careful balance. And, you know, you, you want to make sure that, you know, if you're, if you're spending time with a partner that you're not upsetting another partner, you know, especially if someone is new to being in that type of environment, you know, the, the, because jealousy can crop up and how you deal with jealousy is very important. Did you feel jealousy yourself at the beginning? Absolutely. You know, and, and it still happens from time to time. You know, you have to be self-aware enough to be like, well, why am I feeling jealous? Well, you know, I just need to communicate what I need. And I need to look at this relationship, this dynamic that someone else has that I love and care about. And instead of, you know, you have a choice, you know, you, you can look at them and, you know, you can throw a rotten tomato and yell and scream, or you can smile and clap your hands and be like, I support them. I love them. And I'm happy to see them happy. You know, the, the importance of sharing joy when you realize how important it is to see everyone else that you're around, you know, in a state of joy then that allows you to, to grow because you're not, you know, you're not forcing yourself to, to suffer. You know, you, you enhance your world when you allow yourself to have joy and to share joy and to see everyone else be joyful. Mm -hmm. So how many people are in your poly sort of family, as it were, then? How many people are you seeing? So, like right now, uh, including my primary partner, I would say three. And, you know, it's, you know, there's another man and, and there's, you know, there's another woman. However, the, I'd say that the biggest challenge that my current relationship has is geography. And, you know, that's, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're in a small country or if you're, you know, in a 
you're in a country that goes from coast to coast. You know, it's, you know, if there's a geography, geographical challenge, you know, you, you do the best you can with what you've got. You know, my, you know, my female partner is on the West Coast. And so I don't get to see her as often as I would like. You know, my, my other male partner, he's, you know, in another state. So even though, you know, we still love and care about each other and we still talk on a regular basis, you know, that leaves me with my primary partner. And, you know, he is very understanding. You know, he doesn't describe himself as, as poly, but he's very respectful and mindful. And, you know, when our relationship was, you know, developing, we, you know, that it was one of those things that I felt more nervous telling him that I was poly than I did anything else. And, you know, I, I told him and, you know, I was very happy to learn that he was very supportive of that. And he's like, well, you know, that, that makes sense. You know, I've heard what you have to say about it. And, you know, I love and support you. And do they all, all of them know about each other? They do. Uh, you know, that's being poly or being ethically non-monogamous. You know, it's because I've, I've met other people that like they'll describe themselves as ethically non-monogamous or, or poly. And, you know, I've, I've asked them point blank. I'm like, you know, I, I think you need to revisit the definition of ethical if your other partners don't know know about each other, because it sounds like you made a choice about yourself, but you're potentially causing a lot of harm and mental anguish for people that you should love and care about. And yeah. if you truly love and care about these people, they should know. They should be part of it. So all three of them bisexual? She is, and my primary partner, he is. Uh, you know, it's, that's a real blessing actually. And I, I guess my other male partner to, to use a, a term that I've only recently become acquainted with, I guess you could describe him as homo flexible. Uh, the, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, 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 two words that I, I always chuckle after I hear them or say them myself is homo flexible or hetero flexible. I'm like, okay, um, I, I guess we can go into off-brand. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many descriptions today, so many descriptions uh, that are emerging. And, and, and so tell us a bit about the whole thing of dating a trans man who happens to be bi as well. How did it come about? And were there things that you had to navigate and deal with and understand? Because obviously... You meet people who are trans or in different stages of, of, of their trans experience and all the rest of it. And a lot of the time they've been through quite, quite traumatic things, actually. And even more so now because there's so much ridiculous prejudice out there towards trans people. Tell us, um, tell us what that was like and how, how, you, how you met and uh, how it's been going. So we actually met on Grindr. Uh, <laughs> the... It was one of those moments at, that, you know, I, I looked at this profile and, and I was like, this is someone I find attractive, but I don't think I've got 
a snowball's chance in hell. But, and, and they lived in another part of the state. And then like every once in a while, I'd, I'd fire up the app and here's this profile. And I, you know, two things that, you know, piqued my interest was one, right off the bat, you know, I'm bisexual. Okay, that, that is a definite thumbs up from me. And, you know, I noticed that it was, you know, you know, trans man. And there was some like, there, there was a funny comment, like, you know, please be respectful, know what, you know, FTM means, you know, don't ask me to have your baby, don't ask me, to, like, there was this long list that said to me that, you know, through his journey, some terrible things had been said to him. And, you know, so I, I took a chance and, and I messaged him and I said, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. And, you know, I, I think it's absolutely despicable that you've had to experience that. And what resulted was him and I just having a really good conversation. And eventually, you know, that moved on to another, like we quickly moved off grinder because things as you're messaging each other, things just feel a, a bit more respectable on a different app. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, just a text only app or, or whatnot. And we just continued to have a, a really good conversation. And, you know, we, we went on a couple of dates, uh, the, and it was funny. I, I think it was after our second date, I remember messaging one of my friends. I'm like, I really like this guy, but I don't think he, he sees me that way. And I think that, you know, I'm, I just need to make my peace with the fact that we're just friends. Unbeknownst to me, he's having the exact same conversation with one of his good friends going, you know, I really like this guy, but I think we're just going to be friends. And then eventually like we, we had another conversation where we realized we really liked each other and, you know, we've been together ever since. I mean, even to the point where like, I hate going camping and I had absolutely no problem going camping with him. And, you know, my, my female partner was like, you must really like him if you're going camping. <laughs> and, you know, she was right, but, you know, we, and we talked about it, you know, yeah. we, we've talked about our, our, our various experiences, you know, you know, and it, it's when you're dating someone who's also bisexual and, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I had this experience with my ex-girlfriend. I had this experience with my ex-boyfriend and you're both are using, you know, that terminology. And the, of course, the other thing that is really funny is like, you know, they're on their phone or I'll be on my phone and, you know, you're looking at something like you'll be, you'll, you'll see a thirst trap on Instagram. It's like, oh man, they're hot. And it's like, as either as he's walking over to me or I'm walking over to him, you know, the, the mutual thought is, I wonder what the gender is, you know, <laughs> you know, the, and you know, you're not going to be disappointed. So it's, <laughs> Interesting. Now we, we interviewed somebody else long ago on, on bisexual when she was a trans man. That's right. Trans man. That's right. And um, he was saying that his, 
sexuality had changed during the process of, 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 of changing gender, that and actually he'd become... Having having had the you know, done the transformation kind of thing, he'd come out the other side and realised his bisexuality was 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 much stronger. Um, I don't know whether that's I don't know I, I don't know whether your partner has expressed that to you or not, but I found that quite interesting. That, um, that there's obviously I mean presumably he was always was he always bisexual or has that developed over time? So from what he's told me was that you know. As a teenager, he realized that he was bi. And, you know, at the time, you know, when they were in high school, they hadn't obviously transitioned yet. And, and they had a boyfriend. And they broke up when, you know, he realized that he was bisexual. You know, they remained good friends, though. And he started dating women. And it was, I believe, 10 or 11 years ago, uh, started their transition journey. And, you know, that was something that, you know, hearing him talk about it, very interesting. And, you know, I, and I've seen pictures, you know, that he has from before his transition. And, you know, there was one comment that, you know, he made that I thought was funny because, you know, I said to him, I was like, you know, I seeing your pictures both before, during and how you look now, I, I think I would have always found you attractive. And, you know, even before your transition, I would definitely have asked you out. And he chuckled and he was like, that's really sweet. Uh, although if you'd asked me out, 10 years ago at the start of my transition, I would have said no, because I was only into women then. And, you know, that I, I, you know, I had a good laugh with that because it was like, well, you know, that it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But very complex, very complex, isn't it? Very complex. um, Very complex. But there does seem to be a lot of, a lot of trans people who are bisexual. Um, I Absolutely. Think, I think, think by you know, trans, was, obviously trans is about gender rather than about sexuality, but there, there does seem to be a, a genuine connection there, doesn't there, between trans and bi people in a way? Absolutely. And, you know, it was so one of my good friends from, you know, grammar school, uh, you know, she and I have just we've been close friends since we we're probably about 10 years old. And, you know, I it was a few years ago I came out to her that I was bisexual and I already knew that like she identified as bisexual. And, you know, although like with her identity, her, she's more comfortable with the, the more inclusive broader label of I'm queer, you know, it's because, you know, how you, how you view yourself is always evolving. Well, in any case, like every summer, you know, there's 4th of July weekend. Uh, she has a party at her, at this cottage that her family has. And I took that as my opportunity to introduce my partner to some of my friends. And, you know, when we got there, you know, 
I remember like she cornered me in the kitchen. She's like, he is really cute. You're doing really good for yourself. Like, well, well, thank you. And, you know, I, I remember saying to her, and I'm like, you're not going to believe this, but he's also trans, you know, female to male. And she got excited. She was like, really? That's awesome. Like, you know, I, I'm just going to have to talk to them. And, you know, as I'm having this conversation in the kitchen, because he, he's very masculine presenting and, you know, he's, he's got a beard that I think would make most men envious. And, you know, we're, we're at this party and, you know, a, a couple of the women that he was sitting with at the table you know, they made some comment about like, you know, if you're a woman, you have certain experiences and, and men just, they don't get it. And, you know, he made the quit back and he's like, oh, I know all about those experiences. And, you know, the, the reveal to, to them that he was trans, it was, it was a very comedic moment, uh, you know, and everyone was like very supportive and, you know, everyone clicked, you know, we had an absolute fantastic time, but being with someone who is trans has definitely made me more aware of trans issues. And it's really caused me to take a step back and realize like, you know, I, there are certain things that just required me to either view them from a different angle or realize that I needed to be more supportive. I may not understand the struggle, but I do understand that my love and support are required. And especially uh, at the moment, because um, things have become ridiculously um, toxic, haven't they, in certain quarters around trans issues. And I find it appalling that we are talking about a minority of people at the end of the day, and they're being demonised so much. I mean, it's just absolutely... Absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, I'm glad it's going really well. How long have you been seeing each other? I guess you could say we've been together since June this year. And it definitely going really well, considering we're living together. So, you know, it, it's, but I, I, I couldn't be happier. You know, it, it's, I'm really blessed to have a, a very loving partner. And, you know, it's, it's been amazing. You know, it, it's been a definite adventure and I'm excited to see where things go. You've had a real journey, haven't you? The journey of coming to terms with your bisexuality, going out of a straight facing sort of relationship and, and then embracing polyamory and then end up being in a relationship with a trans trans man. It's been a real journey of, of, of discovery, really. And you you're still only 44. How do you Absolutely. feel about all that? And what would you say to anybody who's listening to this for the first time and is thinking, oh, I didn't realize that existed. I didn't know that people could be poly. I didn't realize that, you know, you could have those kind of relationships. What, what would you say to people who are interested in exploring more of themselves in different ways and are just scared about it because they just think that it's one thing to suddenly come out as gay or bi or whatever, but then to embrace other things as well? in a world that's not always necessarily accepting. You've managed to do that. I know you say that the way you are is a bit more liberal than most places, but even still, you've still had to navigate all those different things. What would you say to somebody who, you know, who has a, who feels that they've got things they want to explore? 
know your resources. Or if you don't know if there are resources available to you, it it costs you nothing to to find out what's available. You know, when growing up, like not knowing that there was, you know, I didn't know that there was a community of people. I didn't know that there were people that I could network with, that I could become friends with, that would like when you're part of a community, you become more comfortable with yourself because you realize you have that support system. And that's very important. You know, it was my oldest daughter, you know, she identifies as pansexual. And one thing that, you know, I told her and and she knows that I'm, that I identify as bisexual. I told her, I was like, sweetheart, I want you to have the resources that I never had when I was your age, because, you know, she's, you know, she's in her early teens. And I was like, you know, and I was the first adult that she came out to because she said that she felt safe to do so. And I said, you will always have my love and support no matter what you're my child. And you are having a child is the last noble pursuit. And, you know, it's, it really enhances your life, you know, and, and I know Lewis can, has obviously spoken to that effect because I, I know he's incredibly happy to be a dad, just like I am. And I know with, with Nikki, you know, becoming a mom, she's going to discover how awesome it is to be a parent, but being a queer dad with a queer kid, it's, it's interesting because I I think it's made me a better parent in the sense that when my child now comes to me with an issue or they need some advice, I can be like, well, I didn't have this when I was your age, but here's a great resource for you. Surround yourself with good people and don't be afraid to communicate what you need. You know, it comes down to knowing what you need, knowing what you want, and being able to communicate that in a very healthy and civilized way. And, and, and you know, shows like Heartstopper, which we've discussed quite a lot recently, are, uh, you know, uh, it's great to see that happening. Because finally, we've got a, a show off the ground that's actually embracing bisexuality properly. And obviously, bisexual brunch and other things. There aren't many of these things around, though. There are only a few, but I think it's really good that they're there. But one thing you've got, which you mentioned earlier on, which not many of us who are listening to this show have got, is a, it seems from what you were telling me, that you've got a bit of a, a, a circle of bisexual friends. Tell us briefly a little bit about them and who they are, what they're like and where, they're, where they've come from and, you know, what you are managing. Because I think a lot of people, you know, we don't have bi bars, do we? We don't have bi dating apps. We don't have bi community things, really, apart from the odd thing on the internet now and obviously bisexual brunch and things like that. But what's it like to actually spend some time in reality, not on Zoom or, you know, on on twitter or whatever but in actual reality talking to people who are bisexual and tell us what what that's like to have a a a sort of a mini community around you it's awkwardly fun i I guess the best way to describe it the reason why i have that is because i realized i needed that and it took a lot of searching and seeking because you know the while i have like a, a small group of people that are around me, my partner included that are bisexual or people that I know are 
still in the process of figuring themselves out. And, you know, I've been down that road. I'm here to help you if you need advice, even if it's just, you know, let's, let's grab a cup of coffee or let's, let's go grab a drink and you don't have to say anything. Just know that you've got someone here. It's because I took the time to build that and to seek people out. And really that started with like, you know, I'd find people on Twitter or, you know, Instagram or whatnot. And I'd find people and I'd network with them and, you know, finding that, you know, there are people in my area for a group of people that, you know, are used to being invisible. It's really hard when, you know, you, you find someone that is like you, you know, I mean, there's no secret handshake. There's no secret decoder ring. There's no treasure map, but you, you have to take the time to be self-aware and to recognize and to be loving and supportive. And it's luck of the draw, you know, because like, as I've listened to the podcast, you know, there have been a number of people who've been like, you know, I, I just didn't, don't have that, or I don't know where to find that. And it's really tricky. So my, my female friends that are bisexual, their journeys have a lot of parallel. And one parallel that I've noticed with bi women is that there seems to be a level of acceptance that as a bi man, I've yet to have the luxury of having. And, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the other guys that I know that identify as bisexual or pansexual, they've they've said it's like, you know, the the stigma that we have has really hindered them in becoming comfortable with themselves and finding others like us. And that's tragic, uh, you know, and it also creates a lot of trauma. And, you know, that's why it's important to, to find each other and to support each other and to, to make sure that, you know, like you said, every journey is different. It's unique to the, the person taking it. You just have to, to make sure that you're there to provide that, that support, you know, and it's been a journey for sure. What's the best thing about where you are now in your sexuality journey and your embracing of those kind of you know both the bisexuality and the and the and the polyamory kind of thing what 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 what, what what's the best thing about having got to that point at your age i think that the best part is i now know that i can communicate my desires and i don't feel judged for it you know i i feel that it's a safe space that's an incredible luxury that a lot of people have either never had or may never have. It's also a real blessing to, to be at a point in a relationship that you're so comfortable that you can look at your partner and you can express what you're desiring or you can express your curiosity about trying something and they're supportive. That's something that is incredibly incredibly profound because you know you can be sex positive you can be accepting and and it's a two-way street because like 
if I can express what I'm interested in, if I can express what I desire, then my partner also knows that they have the same freedom and latitude to express what they want, what they would like to explore, what they're curious about. And, you know, it's, it's important. It's healthy, you know, and, you know, it's, it's important. You know, I, I think that, you know, it doesn't matter what your sexual identity is to have that in a relationship is special and it's profound and it's important. And I think everyone should have that. You know, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, someone that is, you know, they're, they're too afraid to express what they want or, you know, if they're so repressed that they don't know how to express what they want. They, they don't understand their own desire. And really, it's it's part of being able to grow. John, it's been lovely to talk to you and hear your bisexual journey story, but your your, your poly story as well, because we've never had a poly story before. So it's been really interesting to hear that. Please do keep in touch and let us know how um, things develop for you, particularly in that situation of having those poly relationships and you know drop us a line let us know if there's anything interesting you want to share with us at any point um because i'm sure there are plenty of people who are listening who again who haven't really got you are by and might be poly or think they're poly or whatever and haven't really got anywhere to talk about it so um lovely to chat to you and thank you it's been a pleasure and if anyone wants to to reach out to me on twitter i'm always happy to, to have that conversation and to establish that dialogue you remind us what your Twitter handle is. Yes, it's Perkins underscore IV, like the Roman numeral four. And now it's time to ask a bisexual. So our question this time is uh, from Pauline uh, in Somerset. And she says, I'm a straight woman who has recently stumbled across bisexual brunch. Fantastic. We invite lots of straight people to listen to us, don't we? Um, fantastic. I'm long suspected my long-term boyfriend might be bisexual. It's not something I'm totally happy about, but listening to you over the past few months has helped me gradually get my head around it. My boyfriend has never opened up to me, but recently I discovered that he's been watching gay porn. Now I'm really confused. Could he actually be gay and not bisexual after all? That would devastate me. Our sex life is still good, but less frequent than it was. I'm very worried. What do I do? Right, Nikki. Well, oh, yes. Okay. So the classic thing of uh, you should never do, you should never do, go into your partner's search history and see what porn they've been viewing because it won't give you any kind of accurate depiction of what they fantasise about on a routine basis. I mean... It could be as simple, like, okay, if every video they've ever viewed is gay porn, maybe that's telling you a little something. But it also could just be this thing that they find appealing in that context. It doesn't mean that they're fantasising about being in relationships with men or having sex with actual men that they meet in real life. Like, it doesn't mean that. It just means that in that one moment, in that palimpsest, that's what turns them on. So, first of all, never go searching through your partner's porn history. But, okay, it's been done, so let's move on from that. I mean, I think... I think what this message suggests is quite a lot of anxiety about the idea of the sexual identity being something that's not what she thought and also that he's ha- he's got a secret from her. That's what, I, that's what comes across to me. And that fear of he's been pretending about who he is and actually he's someone else. 
Not that he's been open about maybe having a little bit of a thing for men and it's just one tiny aspect of his sexuality. So, of course, when you don't have those open discussions, what happens is you run away in your head with this idea that, oh, this person is betraying me or lying to me or deceiving me about who they are. When if they'd been allowed to maybe, not by you necessarily, but if they felt comfortable to express that element of a sexuality, you would have an understanding of how significant it is to the whole picture. And I guess what's what's happening here is that the, the lady in question is not getting that whole picture. So, I mean, our sex life is still good, but less frequent than it was. That's everybody that's ever been together with the same person. Oh my God, that's just so normal. That's very reassuring, in fact. So I wouldn't worry about that at all. Um, I think what this all leads to is that this lady is going to have to ask the boyfriend outright if he is bi. Um, not in a confrontational way. It needs to be a kind of softer conversation about sexual preferences. Maybe she needs to share something about her sexuality that she's not told him before in order to get him comfortable. But if she really wants to find that out, she just needs to ask him. That's the only way she's going to find out. Not by doing any kind of digging into his search history. What about the fact that she's now thinking that he might not be bi, which she could, I think she started to realise that she can probably deal with having listened to Bisexual Brunch, um, which is great news. Um, but he might be gay... And that could cause more of a problem because it might be that he's just been pretending all along. Yeah, I mean, I think that's unlikely. I think, like, he's probably bi and he's watching men because that's just the way to get that fix in porn. If you've ever searched bisexual porn, it is so paltry. You know, there really is no good quality bi porn. Well, if there is, please email in listeners because we need to know about it. <laughs> but, you know, it's like I always watch lesbian porn, even though I'm not lesbian, I'm bi. And I just feel like that's just, it's just the way to go find that content you know so i think i think she's slightly over worrying about that aspect potentially what do you think lewis yeah it's a tricky one i would say you know you look at the situation of like why is he not telling me that he's bi well i think that you need to kind of like put that energy out there have you had a conversation literally there are like 10 different ways you could get bisexuality into a conversation based on this episode alone talk about kit connor and, you know, if you if someone thinks you're going to react badly to something, you're going to have to tell them, um, you know, that you wouldn't react badly. You don't need to be, you know, confrontational straight away. Maybe just have a conversation. About, I've been listening to this great new podcast called Bisexual Brunch. Did you know X, Y, Z? And then leave that conversation to simmer. And then, like, you know, then maybe bring it up again in a week's time or something. And then if it, he's really not coming out, just be, you know, maybe just bring it up, you know, have a bottle of wine, you know, as Nikki says, you know, give him a little something about you um, and then bring it up. On the gay thing, I really don't think it. I mean, if you're still having pretty decent sex life, he's a pretty crap gay man, isn't he? Um, so I just wouldn't worry too much about that. I mean, you know, weirder things have happened, but I, I would doubt it. Um, yeah, I think I think it's just about making sure you're having these conversations and just, you know, it doesn't always need to be so confrontational. You can just drop some breadcrumbs, but it seems like, you know, listening to this podcast would be a great way to start a conversation with someone about bisexuality. Why not? Yeah, just have it on. Have bisexual brunch on in the background, yeah. listening to it. Yeah, <laughs> Start talking about it. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I agree. She definitely needs to uh, to have a chat to him about it and confront him, but in a, you know, a very friendly and sort of gentle way. And it's great, though, that she's actually managed to um, listen to us and learn things about being bisexual. And I hope, 
be more and more straight people maybe be doing that. The straight, the, you know, the people who are a bit curious out there. Yeah, Adrian Childs, when he interviewed me the other day about uh, the bisexual statistics, seemed quite intrigued by, by bisexual brunch. So uh, I hope there's a whole plethora of uh, uh, straight people listening to it and, uh, and listening to us and learning something. <laughs> Our numbers are going up all the time, so there's obviously some people are joining us for the first time and learning new things. But uh, but no, that's, that's great. So please get in touch with us if you've got a question you want to ask um, the three of us. Um, but um, best of luck, Pauline, and keep in touch. Let us know if you do manage to uh, raise the issue. Uh, what happens next? We'd uh, we'd love to know. Ready to ask a question of your own? Send an email now to info at madeinmanchester.tv and in the subject line say, for the attention of bisexual brunch, and you might get featured on a future show. Don't be shy. They won't bite. Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. And what are you off to do now, Nikki? You seem to be struggling with a bit of a cold. You're going to have a rest. Yeah, well, I mean, this is way past my bedtime. As a pregnant woman, I'm often in bed before 8pm. And listeners, it's 21.37 on a Sunday night. Not that I've got to get up for work tomorrow because I'm only working part-time right now, but I am rather tired. This is a very late night for me. Well, it's so definitely snoozing. It's definitely past my bedtime as I've just, re- I've, I've, just, <laughs> I've just reached 50. So, you know, there you go. That's it. I'll be having afternoon naps now all the time on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Like. I love an afternoon nap. No shame in that, Ash. This programme is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.